For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Recorded live. We did it, Jim. We made it. We made it. <laughs> it's football again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I kind of go back to, uh, well, first of all, you know, talk, you know, everybody doesn't like to talk about preseason football, but you got to talk a little bit. You know, I was watching the You got to talk more than a little bit. I mean, for me, it's, game. I, I know yeah. other people whine about preseason. Those people are either just whiny babies or they're not real football fans. Well, Teams are made in the preseason. I know people hate when I say that, but it's true. First of all, your composition of the last, depending how old your team is, eight to five, you know, 40, let's just say that your two teams is often decided fairly quickly. And then you might have some rookies that, that are really stellar. So you push four to six veterans out the door, and then three, how, how good your draft went, four to six draftees and one or two undrafted free agents come in and make the team. But that's the exception. I mean, most of the guys, most of the young guys, practice squatters and whatever, are fighting for their lives during the free I just don't know how that cannot be exciting to someone. I, I don't know, whatever. Um, it's it's super important. And, of course, once again, I mean, Malcolm Butler, right? Malcolm Butler, the guy who, quote, unquote, saved the Super Bowl of the Patriots, was the guy who named the Patriots because of what he did in the preseason. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's tons of there's tons of stories like that. But, but I, I don't know. It, it, it's just. That is just a sentiment that many people have in that they've been in certain preseason games where it feels like neither team wants to win, you know, and well, it's funny to say that, but it's just the the feeling of it. Now, it depends on the preseason game, you know. Right. Uh, if you spend 14 seconds around a pro football coach, they want to win all the time, but it's not their primary priority. Their primary priority in the preseason is figuring out who their team is. That's always the most important thing. And Bill Belichick, you know, as only Bill Belichick could do it, um, shot down a bunch of questions about, quote-unquote, the third game, the all-important third game. He said, no, it has nothing to do with what we do in the in the regular season. We, we don't put in, you know, one-third of what we're going to do. And, of course, he's telling the truth. Uh, but it's still important in that, whether you put anything resembling a full game plan, and Bill Belichick's game plans are, you know, they're Mozart. They're works of art, you know. He doesn't do that for a preseason game, no matter which preseason game. But that being said, it is the most preseason, most important preseason game for, for most teams, including even the Patriots, who kind of know who their team is, 
for several reasons. One is the one where your starters play the most time. That's the most obvious difference is that your starters play more. I mean, that's true of everything, including Bill Belichick Patriots. But the other thing is it's right before, you know, a big cut. I mean, 15 people are going to be looking for work shortly after that game. There's no two ways around that. And then you've got, you know, obviously after the final cuts, I don't know how, I frankly do not know how, how the final cut, I mean, God bless, you know, because you know you're cutting people who can play. That final cut, the first cut, the, the, the cut we're about to see, one, this one with the, from uh, 90 to 75, you're cutting guys who in most cases wouldn't, even if you kept them, would not have seen the field. But that last cut, Jim, when you're cutting down to 53, you're cutting guys who could play for you. And in oh, some yeah. cases, guys who did play for you. Oh, yeah, and some guys that will go play for another team and actually start and go, hey, you shouldn't have cut me, you know, type of stuff going <laughs> yes. on. But the, but the Seahawks-Cowboys game, just to talk a little bit about that game, yes. that was, had a little bit lane. more – Juice to it uh, for yeah. whatever reason, because you know, first of all, you have Ezekiel Elliott doing his thing, and you know, I remember you made the Edron James comparison. You that know, was the comp I made. Oh, oh, wait, hold on. Before we continue, unless I'm going completely out of my mind, is that Steve Morgan? It is. Woohoo! It's officially football season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I am through my football, uh, my you know footballcation uh, annually. I've been watching a little actually, uh, looking for some awful quarterbacks. Well, guess so what? Just, Your prayers have been answered. Um, I don't know how much preview I mean, of football you've watched, but there are a couple of games. I have a, a series we've done over the past few weeks called Circle the Calendar. Um, we'll talk about some of the circuit. If you're looking for bad quarterback play, there's a circuit of the calendar uh, games to put on your preseason menu. But let me, I'll go back to Jim and then I'll come back to you. And we'll talk about that. Sorry, continue, Jim. Well, essentially, you made the Edron James comparison. And I shut you down just a little bit just because of how much of a freak Edron James was, you know, pre-injury. Yes. Most people right. think of Edron James, at least my age, you know, they they think of Edron James when he was on the Arizona Cardinals, and you know, yeah. Oh, that one, yeah, that was not the real Edron. I remember, I remember Edron James very well. <laughs> yes, Edron James, and, at the five year mark of his career, had more yards per rushing per game than anybody but one dude. Can anyone name what that one dude was who, at the five year mark of his career, had more rushing yards per game than Edron James? Jim Brown. Something called Jim Brown. Exactly. That's 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 pretty good company to be in after the first five years of your career. Oh yeah, most definitely. I, and I used to hate that dadgum stretch play where Peyton Manning <laughs> would hold it to the to the last second, and if yeah. you had a choice, you had to either your end either had to go out wide, so to, to take you know take Edwin James or yeah, and thus not pass rush Peyton Manning or crash that run and Peyton Manning pull it, you know, crash Peyton Manning, he just hands it to Edwin James. 
Right. There's nobody. Yeah, either that or there's a little that little <laughs> Y that little Y cross to that Dallas Clark made a living on when you would come up to uh, take away the run. Yes. It the, the old saying is make the defense wrong no matter what, and they did that. Oh. That's yeah, still has hands on that play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Jim. Go ahead. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. But but I I get to that, and although he isn't quite the same, the thing about Edward James is he just has that oof type of factor to him. You know, when you watch him in Miami and you watch him on the Colts, in terms of like covering ground, like a Randy Moss level ability to go from point A to point B extremely fast. Yes. And, you know, Ezekiel doesn't quite have that, but in terms no. of his running style and, of course, his ability to catch the football and everything else like that, I was looking at about an 85 to 90% version of Edron yes. James. Correct. 87.5% of Edron James. Yes, that's what I meant when I – I mean, like I said, Edron James was on his way to being a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean – like no doubt, walked Waltz into Canton, and I truly believe if had he stayed with the Colts for his entire career, he'd already be in Canton, or he'd be, you know, about to be one or the other, or if he hadn't have gotten hurt. I mean, right, and that too. Right, yeah. well, those two things the together. Injury was, yeah, the injury was a big, you know, factor in terms of right. The know, injury was a big factor, and when he went to the Cardinals, the Cardinals were kind of off the beaten path, you know what I mean? Like, it was, even if you were a good player with the car, like Eric Swan, people remember him as being a good player, but if he played for the New York Giants, I think he'd be perceived differently. If, I guess I'll, I'll, that's how I'd like to put it. So, oh, yeah. So, 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 Bill, let me tell you about, let, what do you think about these middles? Six foot, 216 pounds, six eight seven three cones, Four yep. three eight forty yard dash. Yep, <laughs> he was special. I mean, he was really. I thought he was going to be. He still he had a really good career. But I thought he was going to be. I mean, I thought we'd be talking about him the way we talk about guys like Dickerson and guys like. I mean, like amongst the greatest of the greatest of the greatest. I mean, his. I remember his early career and thinking, "Oh my God, I am watching one of the ten greatest running backs of all time." I remember thinking this to myself when he was at Miami in early first years of his career. I was like. I'll be telling my grandchildren that I saw Edwin James play. And, yeah, as you pointed out, uh, combination of the injury and then, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but this, he was playing for the Cardinals when the Cardinals had no home games because whoever they were playing would have more fans than stands than Cardinal fans. Uh, this has only fairly recently not been the case, in fact. I think the around the time they made the Super Bowl run that began to change, but, you know, Cardinals – players of that era complain bitterly about never having home games because, you know, when they played Pittsburgh, there'd be more Pittsburgh fans than they played, oh, no, they the Cowboys. I mean, it was literally practically a Cowboys home game. There'd be 60,000 Cowboys fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean but... it's his first year, his rookie year in the NFL. He ran for 1,553 yards and caught 62 passes. <laughs> yes, he was getting warmed up. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, and then his, his second year, he ran for 1,700 yards and caught 63 back. <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, I was convinced I was seeing one of the greatest running backs of all time. It was 
I still kind of am sad a little bit about, you know, the way the last half of his career turned out. I'm sure he is as well. But that be, being that as it may, Jim, <laughs> getting back to you, um, I, yeah, so I wasn't calling him Andrew and James. It was simply the comparison that came most easily to me as I watched him play. Yeah, and for whatever reason, I don't know why it is, just seeing him in the preseason game made me go, yeah, yeah, I got, I got to give that to Pete. You know, I got to give that to Bill. I, in terms of just, you know, again, the the running style and everything else like that, um, which sometimes, you know, you watch a ton of backs and they start to blend in with each other. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> yes. he, had a, he had a really, I mean, it was, you know, it was a good little appetizer, if you will, in terms of, you know, what he can do. Yep. And then, of course, you have the Cam Chancellor hit, which is <laughs> like, okay, you know, you spend off it, but, I'll have to tell to to Zeke is I I understand you trying to you know prove you got cojones you know your manhood and everything else like that but um, you don't want to go full tilt into camp chancellor I mean that's not a in a preseason game no less strategy uh, the survival strategy if you will <laughs> not to say that you shouldn't do it once you know right. and beat your chest but, but he's like, like but he's like twenty one years nine months so he's still you know feeling pretty good. <laughs> I I'm willing to bet some, some a few years hits, into his career. <laughs> I just know some of those hits can't put him. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it weren't that bad. I, he probably has a couple of ice packs on. I'm just saying. Like, yeah. know, there's some pretty yes. big hits, some big shots he took. Uh, so, the one thing that I was really, though, it's really impressive on the, if you go back, if you look at the camp hit, is how low Elliot gets. Oh, yeah, yep. yeah. Definitely. And that's why he's still walking around and talking. <laughs> I mean, he, he, if you, if you straighten up and Cam Chancellor sitter cuts you, <laughs> that's a, that shortens your evening. That's, 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 yeah. you know, that, may be, that may be the end of at least that particular night's revels. Yeah, so you had that, you had that going on. And, of course, you had Dak Prescott who continues another case of... To burnish his Hall of Fame credentials. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you take it... I, I simply put it like this, which is something I'm still trying to work on, and, and everybody's trying to do this. Everybody's writing about spread, you know, spread football and how it's going to translate to the NFL and spread quarterbacks, all that kind of stuff. You take Dak Prescott... You put him in the offensive business of state, which is largely spread concepts. You know, three wide receivers out of shotgun. You know, not much. I mean, there was some, but not a ton in terms of every time you watch Dak. You put him in a pro stall for the Cowboys, and he does all the same things he was doing at Mississippi State. It's just it looks a heck of a lot better is all I would really say. So it's uh, – I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting how that's going to turn out in terms of Dak. And then, of course, you had Russell Wilson, who I, I – this is the thing I don't really understand, though, is the Seahawks are a team that went spark heavy. You know, like we're going to get, you know, the best athletes <laughs> and we're going to turn them into offensive linemen. And then right. they decide to stick to Marcus Webb. It's probably <laughs> one of the least well, athletic offensive tackles in the NFL, and that's going well, to protect Russell somewhere, somewhere, well, somewhere, Jamarcus Webb and, and your man Potassi are having some sort of unathletic off to, to decide who will finally win that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Potassi yeah, is what happened here is, Marcus Webb. Uh, 
have you seen the Seattle line in the last few years? And they said, well, okay, well, that that athletic stuff didn't work. So let's go out find bad and unathletic. Yeah. Um, I have seen Jamarcus Webb play in person, as I may have mentioned previously. And I do not claim to be an expert in offensive line play. But I told you, um, my, one of my first Twitter, my first Twitter beats, come to think of it, was with Jamarcus Webb's agent, when Jamarcus Webb was still a collegian. And I had uh, watched the practices of what was then called the Texas versus the Nation game. And Jamarcus Webb was getting owned. There is no other way to put it in practice, getting just flat out owned. And I wrote about it in one of my first Twitter posts. And um, Jamarcus Webb's agent, who apparently, I don't know if he followed me or whatever, but he, I guess he saw it, whatever, I don't know if he maybe just, you know, searches for anything mentioning his client, and he went after me. He was like, you know, Jamarcus was a late ad and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, yeah, I get all that. But, you know, the slow feet, slow feet and low hands, I don't care where they teach that at. Like, you know, I don't care, like, you know, like, I don't care when you got there, you know, that's, I don't care if he woke, if they got in there minutes before. It was bad. It was just flat up. He was clearly I guarantee Walt Jones showed up. He looked pretty, he looked better than Jamarcus Webb did today. <laughs> yeah, right. Dude, Roger Saffold. You don't have to go to Walter Jones. Roger Saffold would have looked better. A lot better. I, I, I could name a lot of people. So he goes after me. You know, and says to Mark, is going to do this, that, and the other, and you know, just you why are you not down for the nothing. cause? Why, why are you not? Why, why, why no love? Where the love? And, and of course, and of course, I'm obviously like a small school advocate, right? So, I mean, I'm not ever looking to trash a small school kid. I'm looking to help them whenever possible. But he wasn't if good. If they got talent, if they're right, good. exactly, if they're not right, exactly. If they, that, that was my one little caveat, right? So he's like, I thought you were supposed to be looking out for small school guys. I'm like, yeah, I do look out for small school guys. I wrote about a bunch of other guys, and I, I'm not going to lie. Jamarcus got just, his, you know, just handled. By dudes, he outweighed by 70, 80, 90 pounds. So it wasn't just speed. He struggled with, quote-unquote, power from 237-pound edge rushers were pushing him around. I mean, there was nothing to hang his hat on. He wasn't powerful. He wasn't athletic. His technique was bad. Like, there, was, there wasn't anything to say, oh, but. Like, there was no but. It was all bad. And so, you know, we went round and round for a bit. And he was mm-hmm. like, well, just watch. You know, he'll do blah, 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 such and such. And wait, he gets in the league. Mm-hmm. He gets, oh, here's my favorite thing, NFL coaching. That's the magic elixir. <sighs> the magic elixir of NFL coaching. Remember that one? The magic, oh, it'll, that'll be, all that'll go away with mm-hmm. some NFL coaching. You know, listen to Listen to this, you know, this uh, yeah, high, high career. Uh, selected in the 10th round in the 2010 draft, uh, waived on August 20, on August 30, 2013 by the Bears, claimed off waivers by the Vikings, waived by the Vikings, signed by the Chiefs, waived by the Chiefs, signed by the Raiders, waived by the Raiders, signed by the Seahawks. Somebody would have found it right now. This, this sounds exactly like the guy I want to play with. <laughs> well, somewhere in there, Tom Campbell had a hold of him, right? I mean, supposedly the god of offensive line coaches. Well, so, I mean, supposedly. Tom Campbell was on the Raiders. I, I mean, I, I now I will admit having Mario Henderson is not your best, you know, tools in terms of offensive line play. 
uh, or uh, Cooper Carlisle and, you know, all the other guys we had. But I, I'm not saying Tom Cable's a bad offensive line coach. I'm just saying that I think the mystique of Tom Cable is a little <laughs> higher than the output on the football field. Oh, it's, it's oh I'm, not, I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying that there's this mystique, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. that, that surrounds him, where supposedly he lays hands upon these, you know, former D tackles or, you know, wrestling champions or stevedores or whatever the heck they were. Oh, yeah, he's a statue of liberty of offensive line coaches. So you're poor, you're hungry, you're huddled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, he gets his secret sauce and his cape and whatever else, and then sprinkles the magic cable dust on them, and boom, you are now an NFL left tackle. Exactly, and he's talked a lot of – I mean, I don't want to say, you know, shit, but he's talked a lot of stuff about, you know, like, oh, well, offensive linemen in, in college, they don't learn anything, you know, they're all yes, dumb anyway, yes, okay. so it doesn't matter. Just get a bunch of athletes and coach them up and teach them, you know, yes. the, the stuff. That is almost Which a direct is, quote. <laughs> yeah, you basically almost, said, no one learns – but right, you said they don't learn how to play the way we play here or some of those lines. So it's just as I might as well just get a guy who doesn't know anything or something like those lines. Yeah, and as you pointed out, how has that worked out for him? At least sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, J.R. Sweezy wasn't the, you know, I mean, he's, he's just not, not exactly, I'm still stunned he got as much money as he got. <laughs> he wasn't, you know, exactly good. Well, I mean, I mean I, once no, again, I'm still trying to think why they ran off Okun. He couldn't be worse than Jamarcus Land if he's not one uh, No, no, he was. He got hurt, he got hurt, but Russell Okun on his worst day, probably before he even was fifty percent recovered, would not be worse. I mean, Russell Okun's high school tape is more impressive than anything I've ever seen on Jamarcus Webb. And that's not even a joke, actually. I mean, literally, of course, I mean, I guess he's playing his high school kids, too. But the point is, there's things you see. You know, this is where the traits people always come out of the woodwork. But there, there are certain things that some dudes have. I mean, Okun moves extremely well and always has. Bends well and always has. Has power and pop and probably always will. Yeah. I'm waiting to see one of those things from Jamarcus Webb. Just one. Yeah, but the good news is the good, news, good news, news is that you have Russell Wilson, who for yes, some reason is the good news. <laughs> has this magical ability to dodge five mm-hmm. defensive. I think at one play, five defensive linemen, and still end up with a touchdown. Yeah, that's you know, good practice. Now, so you have to do that a lot. Now that isn't always going to work. You know, it's very much like the Ben Roethlisberger kind of version of. You know, when he, you know, he was playing back in the old days where he would just, right, you know, right. hey, hey, back there. Ben Roethlisberger of seven seasons ago where he would let five guys hit him and slide off and then throw a touchdown. Exactly. You know, hey, it doesn't phase me. I take the shots and I keep coming, you know, until I start to fall apart. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. But at the very least, Russell Wilson doesn't get hit as much. But you got to wonder how much the running around with, you know, like a chicken with his head cut off is going to, you know. Well, Jim, that kind of thing works until it doesn't. So exactly. it just takes it just takes one kill shot where he's 
running this way, and then somebody doesn't see he's coming the other way, and when he turns, it's too late. And, you know, <laughs> and, and now then, we find out how good that team is with their second-string quarterback. Then, then you really find out how good Trevon Bullock is. Yes, that's when you'll really find out. Now, the good news is that he has some of Russell Wilson's strengths, but not all. Um, and you can run some of the same stuff, obviously, but, I mean, I'm, a, I mean, I'm as big a Trevor and Boykin fan as you're likely to find, but he's not Russell Wilson. No, no, no. Even though he was getting some comps like that. But, but then I just kind of mm. chalked that up to people, like the traits people, Bill. You know, they see something <laughs> – and they go, he could be the next blah, 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 because he has this one thing in common. One trait, just like this guy. You know, yes, one trait. Yes, he has one. Look how mobile he is. Boom. <laughs> Somehow ignoring the other 17 traits. The other turned, stuff, right. which is he was extremely productive throughout his entire college career. Hit, checked all the boxes off. Mastered two extremely single. complex Master two extremely, I mean, by college standards, extremely complex offenses. And ironically, though people, I've seen people try to attribute his success to Wisconsin, and that's a pretty good offense. But the most complex offense he learned was the one that he had in North Carolina, which was a hand-me-down from Norm Chow. They kept the Norm Chow offense. That's, I mean, people use the term pro style, and sometimes any team that uses a fullback gets called pro style. It's truly post-style. The nomenclature was full-on West Coast offense, you know, I right, Brown regular, all that good stuff That's what they do, you know, shop right, deuce, I mean, all that stuff. The, you know, two and a half minutes to get it out of your mouth stuff. They're one of the few teams anywhere in college football that actually had full-on West Coast nomenclature with NC State when he was there. So his development, which somehow people began to attribute to Wisconsin, where he spent a few months. I mean, he a couple months <laughs> as opposed right a season. few months. Right, he gets <laughs> there right before the season and leaves pretty much right after the season. But somehow people give credit to Wisconsin and Coach Christ and all that stuff, despite the fact that he yeah, whatever. But getting back to Call the fact that yes, traits. Getting back to the right, right. So people forget how developed he was. Also, mentally. He was way ahead of anyone not named Andrew Luck that I've seen play quarterback in a very long time, and I might even give the edge to him over Luck. I mean, he was super prepared as college quarterbacks go. And that dude still carries the chip on his shoulder. And he should. Russell Wilson knows every single body. I bet if you slammed your hand on the table and Russell Wilson can name you, Every single player that was drafted before him. <laughs> I would not be surprised when Iota. And though he plays it cool, he's still kind of pissed about a whole bunch of things, quite frankly. And there's, there's still perceptions or whatever. So at first it was he's on a run-heavy team. Of course, it's true. But you know, run, and by run-heavy, people mean like 48.6% or whatever, which I guess is run-heavy nowadays. But he was supposedly he's going to run every team and he's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he's, you know, he's just managing. He's a manager, blah, blah, blah. And then finally, when that was no longer true, well, you know, he's, I mean, 
Like now, he's I just short. Find, yes, right. you know, can't see over the now, linemen. You know, so right. You're not hard to short. So now, finally, whatever detractors <laughs> were left, I'm assuming have kind of shut up. Um, then, I mean, what, I don't know what else you're supposed to say if you didn't like Russell Wilson. I mean, you just don't like Russell Wilson for reasons that have nothing to do with how he I mean, plays football. Pretty much one of the three most valuable players in football. So, I mean, yeah, you can yeah, hate yeah. yeah, on him if you want to. I mean, you can, you can if you want to, but that that team has about a, I mean, maybe not fifty-fifty, but as good a chance as anybody of making it back to the Super Bowl, largely because of him. Um, you know, there's no more beast mode to to chalk stuff up to the defense. I think is still good, but it's not quite what it about was a couple of years ago. Yeah. That's the same. Quite. I mean they, they have they're they're experimenting a bit. I'll I'll say that much. You know, in terms of uh in terms of what they want to do. I mean the core secondary is still there, but they're all you know, they're all a year older now. So as always, you know, when are the years right. catch up? Probably not this year, but soon, you know. But that, soon, well, right. the, that secondary very much needs Earl not to be banged up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is the yeah. true statement I have heard in quite some time. I mean, they depend on Earl to clean up a lot. That's the one thing that I still don't understand why it isn't stated more. That You can say what you want about whoever else you want on that defense. The person they can least afford to lose, and their linebackers are really good. Really, I mean, I'm a huge fan of their linebackers. I am a big, big fan of, of K.J. Wright. I'm a huge fan of, of Bobby Wagner. But the one player on defense they can least afford to lose because it takes away so much of what they do in the back half is Earl. If Earl goes down, and I can't remember who backs him up, but now you're left with Steven Terrell. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. Yeah, you're, uh, you're not playing single high whenever you want to. <laughs> right, against anybody. I mean, that's the thing. You can do it with impunity when you've got Earl Thomas back there. You don't have to be afraid of basically anything as a defensive playing caller. Nothing scares you. That's why they can be so, you know, gutsy and, you know, gambly and, you know, hey, if you see it, go for it, and don't worry, Earl will be back there to clean it up, as you pointed out. If that's not there, you've got to change everything. You, you know, that's not one of those things you can just sort of patch. It all changes. Everything changes. Your run stuff changes. Your pass defense changes. Your, there's nothing that stays the same if you don't have Earl. And, of course, he also is the guy who makes all the calls in the, in the secondary as well. So now somebody else has to make those calls. And, of course, I mean, I'm sure somebody else can do it, but I'm willing to bet they aren't as good as Earl is. At They're not professional. Just... Yes, exactly. So that's the thing that would terrify me, as you put it out. That's the nightmare scenario, is because they may truly become a different team. Now you have to score more points. You have to be more careful on defense. You don't get as many turnups. Everything changes. It all changes. That team, if they lose Earl, that team is no longer really a Super Bowl contender in my mind. Unless they become a truly offensive team. I mean, which, you know, I guess they're sort of on the way to doing that, but they aren't quite trying to do. doing it. Right. They're trying to reach you on the fly. I keep contending, and I know I'm going to get a lot of flax. Fine. I 
don't think their wide receivers are really all that dynamic. <laughs> well, you know what I called? I mean, I basically said that Doug Baldwin They're was just the new. Solid. They're all solid. Yeah. I mean, right. Tyler Lockett is a very good right. slot receiver, you know, yep. type of guy. Doug Baldwin. Well, you know what I, I called Doug Baldwin? Degree. Right. Doug Baldwin is just basically the new version of Deion Brown. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and Jermaine Curse is uh, the uh, the other guy. That's um, <laughs> exactly what he's the, the guy, other guy. I think it was. John, he, it was you, you have got to say just mediocre. You, you've got to go to the NFL Network uh, Twitter and just see how open Josh Gordon just got. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Uh, who was that cornerback, anyways? Because. <laughs> All Josh Gordon did was kind of look like he was cutting to the, you know, to the to the outside, and then, you know, basically just went straight instead. Well, I think the issue around, there, he may have he may have forgotten that Josh Gordon had been reinstated. That may have been the issue there. It's like, wait, Josh like Gordon? Like <laughs> it's like me. I'm like, oh, Josh Gordon's gonna play football this year? Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what happened. He just wasn't aware that Josh was able to even suit up. Oh, this is a really tall wide receiver, but that's not Josh Gordon. No, no. That's, that's <laughs> is that Josh Gordon prior. selling cars or, you know, talking to a group in therapy or something? Yeah, he said, he said wait a minute. That guy, that's how they're supposed to explode out of the cut like that. <laughs> <laughs> These tall receivers, yeah. niggas are supposed to be stiff. <laughs> right, and... and Luckily for defensive backs, because the only thing they can still count on in this world, it, most of them are, thank God. If they could all move like that, you know, 40, 50 points would be scored in every game. Thank God for these giant receivers are indeed Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, who still manages to produce, but he doesn't do that. You don't see him doing that stuff. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, Kelvin Benjamin's career has been one good rookie year and then missing the entire Sophomore That's year. true. Good point. It's not like he followed it up with a, with like a whirlwind a second season. He, he, he doesn't have an Odo Beckham Jr. Hall of Fame resume, you know, he's making, you know, that's all I'm trying to say. Not <laughs> right. yet. Not true. yet anyway. <laughs> Good point. And, uh, and once well, again, that offense, we were talking about offenses that, you know, still, I'm not going to say I'm suspicious of. I, I would find a better way to put that. The Carolina Panthers offense is still one. You want to say a quarterback's going to throw in the bucket? Watch Tom Brady on <laughs> on Josh Norris. <laughs> oh well, I mean that's not really a surprise, is it? Um, speaking of guys who still have a chip on their shoulder, I mean he's been carrying that thing forever, but he's still not gone. He's still mad about something, and of course now he's got the suspension, so that'll help him to be mad again at something. But, um, yeah, I mean, that guy's, I mean, wow, what, 38? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll be 39 before the season's over, believe it or not. Yep. Mm-hmm. Clean living. Wasn't he a teammate of Brian Greasy? <laughs> well, he was at one point battling Brian Greasy. So at one point in his career – Here's the names. This is another thing I'm sure he still looks at to get angry. At one point, he was behind these scintillating names on the depth chart at uh, at, at Michigan. 
Yes, the aforementioned Brian Greasy was ahead of him on the depth chart. Scott Dreisbach, remember him? Was ahead of him on the depth chart. Um, oh, someone else. Was it Navarre had passed him up at one point? I think it was Navarre, yeah. I think it was John Navarre had passed him up on the depth chart at one point as well. So, yeah, a bunch of future Hall of Who, um, I guess Greasy was the best of them. Had At one point, he was totally like fourth on the depth chart at uh, at Michigan. And I don't mean like his freshman year. I'm talking about like sophomore or not even his redshirt sophomore year. Man, uh, so, yeah. These are still dope. <laughs> his footwork so, to get himself in oh. position to throw. <laughs> and that's the thing that Jim and I talked about this. If you look at his tape at 19, 20, 21, not that he's bad, but he is not as, he's got, he's quicker now than he was at, in his 20s. He has quicker feet. He's stronger. He's a better athlete now. Bigger. And he's, of course, yeah, he's a guy he on Yes, right. He's got just 17 pounds worth of man muscle that he certainly didn't have at age 21 or 22. So, yes, he is a better athlete, a more explosive athlete now at 38 going on 39 that he was 16 years ago. Which is the thing that nobody anticipated when they were looking at him, looking, frankly, as you pointed out, pathetic. I mean, he looked he looked not so much like an athlete, less than like professional athlete, but like a guy who was a reasonably athletic uh, options trader. You know, like a guy who played a little, uh, like, you know, like racquetball. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, basically. Right. I mean, as, I, as, I tell, as I tell most people, again, he was the least athletic quarterback since he was drafted in terms of every single factor you could think of, in terms of his size, in terms of his 40, in terms of his vertical jump. Like, there was nothing there indicating athleticism. At all. Uh, you know, <laughs> He is truly the great exception to everything, ever. <laughs> because by all rights of God and man, he should have been um, uh, John Freeze or something. I mean, when you think of people, his numbers somewhat resemble athletically. I think it's usually guys like that, guys like John Freeze, who I guess maybe has slightly better numbers even, but not much. But yes. Or Rusty Smith he, is another. There we go. Right, Rusty Smith. That's right. There you go. That's, someone, that's who he should have been, right, uh, according to the things that we can Wait a minute. So, we don't run the Velasa giraffe from down here. <laughs> so, so, yes, his burning desire and to some extent hatred, I mean, desire to be great and hatred of all those who didn't believe in him, uh, still drives him. I like to call it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Clean burning uh, within him. Still going, low these many years later. And, of course, every time there's some sort of, you know, when he, if anyone says anything, if Garoppolo plays well, oh, that'll just make it worse. Because yeah. then there'll be the whispers of, oh, That's oh, why oh, he oh. was drafted. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo was drafted not really just to press the plate Tom Brady, just to get into Brady's head that, hey. Oh, yeah. and just, I, I'm going to let you guys know. New England's in trouble in those first four games because I just watched Garoppolo, and uh, he's on my he's he's on my list of terrible quarterbacks. 
Yes, I was gonna, I was talking about that circle. We're gonna get to that in a moment. We're gonna get to that. You're, you're circling the calendar. So as a connoisseur of bad quarterback play, we're gonna talk about some of your featured matchups. And I see, I figured he'll show up in at least one, if not if not two of them. But mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. it's not like there's nothing there to develop, but it just reminds you of the difference between an elite level quarterback, of which there are only a few, despite what you may occasionally hear and everyone else, quite frankly. And he's not in the top level of everyone else. I mean, he's not – I mean, what, what what I just saw was basically Blaine Gabbard without the size. <laughs> I mean, that was some of the worst. Uh, I mean, you could, the, the scare just jumped out and crawled from my TV. <laughs> so, oh, my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's you know, he was supposed to start and play. I think a half. I think Belichick just got so tired of seeing him, he just put in Brady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be an interesting time. I can't uh, watch this there. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we might see you might see a little more Jacoby Brissett than normal as well, who has not looked bad actually. I mean, he doesn't look great, but he's acquitted himself reasonably well for a, a rookie that most people thought of as sort of just a camp arm. I, I think he might – well, obviously the suspension means they'll probably have to keep him around for a while, but I think he might prove to be a little more than, than some people might have suspected. Whether he becomes a, a starter full-time at any point ever is another question, but I could see him hanging around as a fairly long-term backup, sort of bouncing around you know, probably from team to team. But, oh, and guys, uh, another one from the uh, Josh Norris uh, 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 tweet, uh, Deshaun Jackson, still pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's the the thing. I think preseason football, and John, uh, Jim was about how people sort of whine about it. I've never understood it. I've never understood complaining about preseason football. First of all, it's football. I mean, I don't help to say that. As like, if you're gonna... The players on the on the field in the fourth quarter of a preseason NFL game are better than almost any college game you can ever throw up. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. And they're fighting for their professional lives, and they know it. You will see some pretty darn impressive things, even though the actual cohesiveness, simply because sometimes you guys don't, you know, don't often play together, does it sometimes get ungainly? Yeah. You know, yes, you might see some ungainly-looking football sometimes. But you'll also see some really impressive stuff. And I, I pointed out, you know, how there have been some truly important players who are playing important football later on because of what they do in the preseason. I mean, from, like I said, the, the obvious example, recent one, is a guy like Malcolm Butler. But there have been lots of other guys who, you know, if not for preseason plays that they made, would be you know, personal trainers at somebody's gymnasium or whatever. You know, whatever it is that guys do who you know who aren't in the league. So, or they'd be playing somewhere else in some other league in some other country. Preseason football is extremely important. It is an enormously important tool for coaches who have to try to figure out who to keep and who not to keep. It's incredibly important to players who are trying to figure out how to play NFL football who weren't doing this before. And lastly, you get to see stuff 
that may or may not work. I mean, admittedly, you're not seeing full-on game planning and all that blah, 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 but there are some things that you will figure out don't work if you while you're running them in the preseason. Oh, yeah, that's... And the how guys we have like Gary Blunt hurdle with safety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he loves hurdling safeties. That's he loves hurdling anybody really, but he loves, especially loves hurdling. I mean, that's a, that's been a part of his game since what two thousand and since the Bucks seven, whatever year that was. He hurdles he hurdles people. That Blunt, if you want to, you know, his ADP to rise significantly, just have him hurdle somebody. That's all you have to do. Have him jump over somebody and go, wow, that's a big man. That, just jumped over a little man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've always said this about him. He's not truly a power back. He's just a big back, and he has some power. But Very his, but his preference mm-hmm. is to you know run like a running back, not like a fullback or a power back. He likes, he thinks of it internally. He thinks of himself the same way that a guy like. Arian Foster thinks, thinks of thinks himself. himself. Or LaShawn McCoy. Yes. That's an even better example. Yes. <laughs> in, his, in his dreams, he's LaShawn McCoy. Yes. Well put. He's just a very, very large. In his dreams, but... he's a 200-pound space back. You know, like <laughs> yes. That. That's what he is in his dreams. And you see it in him sometimes. There's times when you see, I mean, are there times when he sometimes realizes, like, he just, I should just put my head down and get a couple yards. He does that sometimes, but there's times when he could, he allows himself to feel what he feels inside. It's like, I'm going to juke this guy and then, you know, jump cut and titter pat here and then spin. I mean, he does that stuff. He loves that stuff. That's what he's inside. That's who he is on the inside, as we pointed out. <laughs> and uh, only his- speaking of, of a great player, Big Ben just, you know, dusting off the, the rust and <laughs> – yeah, you know, uh, uh, third preseason game. Well, I guess it's time to go to work and just took <laughs> New Orleans apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, fun time preseason. I just saw two people <laughs> arguing about if, Kel- if <laughs> the choice of Devin Funches or Kelvin Benjamin. You know, who do you choose, Devin Funches or Kelvin Benjamin? <sighs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, well, the one I mean, thing we, you do is you you could say either Antoine Blake. Or, no. Yeah, that's also true. <laughs> I I have never been so happy as I mean it's for whatever reason the Steelers went from it being a team that really did a great job of drafting and developing corners for about from the late 1960s through to the mid-1990s did a really good job of drafting and developing cornerbacks and then just forgot how or something. I mean, I don't, I don't know what happened. You don't draft me. I guess, but they used to be the very, not the best and very good at it. I mean, look at the corners who lined up for that team from say 1970 to about 1999 for about a 29 year run, about 30 years. They had really good corners consistently pretty much all the time. And then it just all went away. I just don't understand why this team can no longer figure out the quarterback position. Well, I mean, you're talking about a team that has Alejandro Villanueva as your left tackle. I mean... And to his credit, he's done a better job than the guy he replaced. But, yes. Well, but but who's backing him up is Ryan Harris of Denver. 
the same Ryan Harris that uh, back. Munch have, will find a way. Yes. <laughs> Munch will find a way. Yes, I guess he will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Yeah, your corners, I mean, <sighs> I mean, yeah, okay, you have William Gay, uh, Ross <laughs> Who Cottrell. each year they try to replace. They've been trying to replace William Gate every year since mm, 2008, probably or seven or well, yeah. not about seven, but maybe, but it, it seems like about the Cardinal, eight years. Too, I think. I know. Yeah, maybe. Right. They've been trying to but replace yeah. him consistently for about eight years. Yeah, but then of course you have Doran Grant, um, Artie Burns is the fourth quarter right now, so that's not good. Um, for you know, first round, and of course you have Golson, who's kind of a slot. You know, right, Horner. I like him, but he's a slot, right? Yeah, Kevin White, um, who's also kind of a slot I, corner. I I don't know. I mean, as far as I know, the Steelers are just they don't draft good anymore. I mean, I, <laughs> I you know I, mean, I cannot argue that point. I don't know what well, happened. <laughs> I, I hear all that, but New Orleans, you know, they were feeling good about their defensive backfield and how things were going and so far in the preseason and everything. And then Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown showed up in the town. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, that is a great thing you can you can do is if you have that, you can make up for – they cover up a lot. Like, that's a great deodorant. If you've got the best wide receiver in football and – People argue about if he's elite or not. I don't care if he's elite or not. He's a guy who knows how to create. And there's a handful of quarterbacks who can truly create. Like, everything's broken down, and he makes Ben's something one of the good. five best quarterbacks in the NFL. Somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah, I think he's in. I mean, <laughs> you've got Phillip Rivers. You've got Breeze. Obviously, Brady's at the top of the list now. You've got Aaron Rodgers. And Ben's in the fight. I think right, right, right after that. I, I I don't think – I mean, Russell Wilson's sort of in that fight now. Eli Manning gets mentioned, though I think he probably shouldn't. Uh, Carson Palmer yeah, I mean, is probably just a slightly outside of that range, but not yeah, far off. He's, yeah. Healthy Tony Kinda. Romo, but then again, you know, he's not healthy a lot anymore. But, yeah, Romo's in in that fight. I mean, he and, he and Roethlisberger are somewhat similar, except Ben's bigger, stronger, and a little less injury prone. Well, Romo, he's, yeah. I don't want to say he's out of shape per se, but <laughs> he, he looks like he might be carrying a spare tire. He, he, he looks like he might be he might be checking into you know that Lindell White. <laughs> <laughs> I keep in mind. Keep in mind, Tony Romo is probably in better shape than I am, you know. But it's just, eh, I, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. He, he's a guy that, first of all, even when he was younger, he always looked a little soft. I mean, not soft as in, you know, weak, but soft as in not ripped. I mean, he, at no point we looked at him and said, wow, that guy is, you know, woo, jacked. I mean, that's just, maybe it's just the way he's put together. He's never looked, you know. Amazing physically, even of course in his not. Youth. Of course not. But he does look like he's carrying about. But he's put on a few extra. Yes, you are correct. He's carrying a lot of cushion, you know. 
Yeah, he's carrying a little extra cushion. Uh, and maybe it's, maybe it's something he was advised to do to, you know, ward off injury. I don't know. But, yeah, so I ward agree. off injury. I mean, <laughs> just, I just, I, okay, all right. Uh, all right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> well, Steve, obviously I'm, I'm being somewhat facetious. But, yes, it is true. He is not in the fighting trim of earlier years. And maybe he hasn't been able to work out as hard as years past. I don't know. But, yes, he's he's looking a little plumper than he has in the past. Well, and, of course, yeah. right, that's true. And, of course, as has been pointed out, he has, he'll soon be feeling the hot breath of Dak Prescott on the back of his deck should things continue. Uh, I am well, not yeah. quite ready I mean, to... Right. It's, I'm not. I'm not ready to anoint Dak Prescott at all. I do right. get your point, but, but if you're the Cowboys, <laughs> you're sitting here and you're like, okay, we love you, Tony Romo. You never won the big one. We we still love you though. Uh, <laughs> we got this young, young quarterback. Really play Dak Prescott two games. He'll be begging for Tony Romo. Two games well, against NFL defense trying to knock him over. I don't know, but you got to think in the back of your mind with Jerry Jones. He, there, there's every, you know, as I say, every man has an epiphany. You know, you wake up one day and you make a decision about something. And it, it's weird how it happens, but it just does. You know, you, you know, you know what, I'm going to stop. I'm going to, I'm going to stop doing this because I'm just not good at it or whatever, you know, whatever that is. Or I'm going to start taking up a new hobby because of whatever. You have to, I, I don't know. You just have to think. You know, now, he is a rookie. I do get all that stuff. But when you look at the Cowboys' offense, purely the offense, you have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, which is always yeah. good for a rookie. You have an yeah. upstart running back in Ezekiel Elliott with mm. two other running backs behind him that can get the job done in terms of McFadden and Alfred Morris. You know, those guys can get the job done at running back if need be. And you have Des Bryant. And, I mean, the rest of their wide receivers are kind of a mishmash of, yeah. But you have Des Bryant, and you have all this other sort of stuff. So, and of course, Jason Witten is still alive and breathing, you know. So, you, yeah. you got and, and it, another guy who's going yeah. to be in the Hall of Fame before long. But yeah, it's a team that's essentially made to win now. So generally, those teams don't like rookie quarterbacks. But if the alternative is a guy who, as has been pointed out, can't finish the season, and or Looks like he's, you know, going. I mean, some guys go downhill fast. Most sort of gently, of really good ones, sort of gently, you know, decrease. You know, you know a lot and, of times with with quarter. I mean, with quarterbacks, I said this: the end doesn't come in a trickle; it comes in a waterfall. I mean, if you look at like if you look at Peyton Manning two years ago, I think he threw fifty-five touchdown passes. So, yep. I mean, or even Brett Favre. I mean, Brett Favre had one of the best, you know, you know, one of his best seasons ever. Followed yeah, by specifically one of speaking, his best ever. season, <laughs> right? And then, in terms and then of the pure stats, the great ones, from what I've seen lately, uh, the great ones, their body goes before everything else goes. They just get to a point where, and I actually, Favre, I think, talked about this. That he could still play in the NFL based on his athletic ability, he just couldn't yep. play long. <laughs> yes, yes, 
And that's the thing. I mean, I pointed out that Dan Marino, four or five years after retirement, if you could just keep people from hitting him, could go out there and make – I mean, he could now today at age whatever he is. 50, I bet Jeff George could go out and rip it in a practice. <laughs> oh, you kidding me? He would, he'd be having guys taping their fingers up, you know? I mean, that's the thing that doesn't go. You could still, if you have a ability to just sling it, you could do that at 55, right? That doesn't go anywhere. It's the, yeah, as you point out, you know, Von Miller, you know, that's the part that you can't do anymore is get away from Von Miller. I mean, he just keeps hitting you. And just don't you can't play keep Von Miller. Up. Just keep him out of the game. <laughs> just, just, you know, if you go going to be with Von Miller, just, no, you're not going to play this week. And just tell, tell us straight up, like, you know, we're playing the Broncos this week. We can't. No, we're not going to do it. Okay, I could tell, tell you a quarterback that is probably, from what I think, might be contemplating retirement is Drew Brees. They hit his life off. They're off. Well, their best offensive lineman is a guy that I was a big fan of coming out of school. And while he's not a top five, you know, left tackle, he's by far, I mean, there's a drop-off pretty significantly once you get past him. Uh, they used to have really good guards. It's just to talk about that. See, because we have a shorter quarterback, we have to really have great guard play to prevent the push up the middle and blah, blah, blah. And then they went away from that for whatever reason. Um, well, so, you know, they tried. They drafted Pete in the first round. Uh, yeah. uh, he's uh, – Little hand, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't taken the win on Pete yet. You know, still, I'm feeling pretty politics. good about about that <laughs> one, though. I think you and I both had that because I just said, I don't know why people didn't notice this. I mean, first of all, the kid is he is a waste bender. I mean, people always point. I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but he is. He does the waste. Well, he's stiff. Yeah, you know, he's really stiff, stiff and weak. <laughs> That's a bad combination. Well, if you can't bend, you're gonna be weak. I mean, it, it's just it's a catch. It's just it is what it is. You know, if you're if you're if you can't get low, you're gonna get overpowered. It's just gonna happen. You know, you're not gonna be able to generate enough leverage. And that that was one of the big sort of oh my gosh type of moments when you just look at it. And I, I know it's like oh you're putting too much on athletic testing. It was just that it was a tape. Or Nate Orchard was abusing him, and pretty much yes. any right. any Nate good defensive Orchard. end was abusing him. <laughs> right, you know, Nate for Orchard, the most part. Nate, and, and Nate Orchard rotational is a good backup. Orchard, rotational <laughs> backup guy, just completely gave him nightmares, you know, in, in a game. And um, when you look at you know the athletic profile, you're looking at a guy who realistically is a guard, but functionally probably won't work at guard because he's so tall. And so stiff. Right. So like basically, right. if this was a six-five guy who was that stiff, maybe he could generate enough leverage to do that. But this uh, is one it, of those you know, where being if he had functional, if he had any kind of functional strength, but that guy, I mean, I mean, you talk about you don't exactly use the term heavy hand when you see Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I, the first time I see him put shock into somebody and stop them in their tracks will be the first time. I mean, dudes who are, I'm not talking about, you know, like, you know, Joey Porter. I'm talking about, like, Alex Ogletree. I mean, I'm talking about guys who are, you know, beefed up safeties. I've seen overpower him. You know, I mean, that's, it's worrisome. <laughs> I guess I'll just leave it that way. He's, there's there's nothing you can hang your hat on and say, well, he does this well enough that we can put up with the other or make up for the no. I mean he's not your Marcus Webb bad, but he's he's no, got he's no one bad. No, he's not that bad. But he's got no but one thing that makes up for the other things though. No, it doesn't. But you know, you're the Saints. You know, you have the Saints are in a transition. I mean I, I, you know, it's not really that big thing, but they just are in terms of the offensive line, in terms of everything. Um, trying yes. to figure out who they are. What like what their identity is going to be when Drew Brees finally hangs that you know, hangs the hat up. Um, and I just don't know. <laughs> their identity is going to be drafting the first or second pick overall is what their identity is going to be. Which is what I worry about because, you know, New Orleans, you know, I have a soft spot for New Orleans, you know. I, you know it wasn't just because of the hurricane, but, you know, it's a place I've been to a lot. You know, people there are nice people. So yes. it's it's just that type of thing where you go, wow, you know, this is this is one of those moments where like you had this this and and they won their Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong. I mean that that's more than enough to be, you know, like woohoo, you know, we did it once type of stuff. But I just don't think that their drafts have been knocking it out of the park. You know, that's <laughs> been Pittsburgh Sheeler bad, you know, per se. But they have been at a level where they're just becoming an average NFL team and, and, and below average in certain aspects. So you just fall into this trap of being an average team, you know, and it, and there's not a lot you can do once you get to that, you know, unless you draft better or get free agents, but that doesn't always work. So it's just, you know, it's just a mess. I, I don't have anything else to say. Uh, just kind of a mess in terms of what they what their identity is and everything else, you know. I'm going to ask Steve a quick question. So, amongst the rookies, I mean, obviously Tajay Sharp's name's been on everyone's lips. Everyone's lips. Is there another rookie that's been a really pleasant surprise for you amongst the the young Titans? Oh Lord, uh, Iard has been really good. Uh, yes, yes, he has. So he, he's a he's a really good player. He's uh, he could play free safety, and he's got strong safety size. So uh, and they're actually putting him back there and letting him uh, return some kicks. Uh, and of course Henry. I mean, it's just been. I mean, he has 15 runs in the preseason, and 10 of them were over 10 yards. <laughs> uh, so you know. He's, been everything they could have hoped for and more. Uh, we're going to get to see Dodd here in the next couple of weeks, and I actually think he's pretty good. So that's, uh, uh, that's uh, you know, that I'm looking forward to that. And Conklin's been better than I thought he was. I mean, honestly, I mean, Conklin's actually he, – he, he looks a little awkward, but he doesn't get run over. <laughs> no. And he doesn't even run over. He's a tough kid. I mean, that's always been true of him. He's always been a a a, a guy with some 
you know, whatever you call it, grit, whatever you know, whatever you want to whip out, I mean, a fighter, he, he can, a guy can, who will. I mean, he and he's a better athlete than I think people give him credit, give him credit for being. Yeah. So, I mean, he he doesn't move like Lawan moves, but I mean, Lawan's an incredibly athletic player. Yeah. That was part of the thing with, uh, with even with Tunsil. Lawan's actually a better athlete than Tunsil is. So, and, and which is part of the reason I think they didn't want to move Lawan off left tackle, even though a lot of people said that that's what they should have done, is the opinion was, you know, Lawan's going to be a pretty good left tackle. So we need a right tackle. So uh, which is uh, the thing about Spain, that in my opinion, has looked better than I think people give him credit for, uh, even his coaches. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping they're not planning on putting in Tricola. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, he seems like a guy, Tricola seems like a guy who's best suited to short yardage goal line situations. He does not seem to relish pass blocking. I mean, though, I mean, Tritola moves people. I mean, in a phone booth. Oh, boy, yes. Tritola moves people in a phone booth. Uh, Spain's a lot better moving, and I think a lot better pass blocker. So that's uh, that's why is that. I mean, my quarterback hasn't put the ball on the ground in the preseason. <laughs> well, that's good news. <laughs> so... Uh, literally, the ball is not hit the ground. So, uh, which is, I mean, he's he's already at a really high level, higher than I think people are going to realize. Uh, and I think people are really overrating, underrating how good Malarkey's going to be for him. I mean, I would go back. Matt Ryan's best years were with Mike Malarkey. True. True. Establishing establishing a power run base and then making sure he was protected, <laughs> which is really the if you boil Malarkey's offense down to its core, take out all of the formations and the and they run an, an insane number of formations right now in Tennessee. Uh, it comes down to about two hundred ways to run power tray and uh, power <laughs> and counter tray. And to make it look, dress it up, and above all else, to make sure the quarterback has time to throw. <laughs> so, uh, so kind of a little old-fashioned uh, in that manner. In that, you know, if 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 it takes somebody staying in, that's what they'll do. But I will say yes. this: players up to your edge safety when Jawson Fowler comes running across the line of scrimmage with Derrick Henry behind him. <laughs> right. Right, right. I mean, you know, I mean, he'll, they'll match protect if they have to. They'll keep a couple of guys in and, you know, run a one- or two-man route. If, As you said, if that's what it takes to make sure no one hits your quarterback. But and like I said, uh, if you're a team that's playing edge safeties and linebacker, Prayers up when when Falston Fowler comes rolling through the line of scrimmage with Derrick Henry behind him. Prayers up. Yeah, that, yeah, that is a lot. That is a lot of, of when you're going to get back for two. four quarters. <laughs> <For your safety. laughs> 
your, your edge safeties are not they're not making the jokes that everyone else is on Twitter. I will guarantee you. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's where that's that. I sure, I sure wish they would pass more. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's where that's where you could get into trouble playing Twitter and you know eighteen pounders and all that good stuff. As we pointed out, there's this you know increasing trend of the success of everyone keeps going back to Trump Buchanan without, as Jim and others have pointed out. Realizing no how, not realizing right. how it works. You have a guy. It just it's just facts. You have a guy who's as athletic as a keep the lead playing safety, who was as productive as Harrison Smith in terms of everything: tackles, interceptions, pass deflections. Uh, and he goes to a team in the Arizona Cardinals who already had a bunch of safeties that were decent and had an issue at. At linebacker, where all their linebackers were bad. Daryl Washington kept, you know, getting in trouble, right. smoking the weed and whatever else, you know, beating women. Who knows? Whatever the kids do these days. Uh, and and then, of course, you have Kevin Minter, who has always been a guy that I just think is, uh, you know, he's he's a tough guy, but he's just not very good in space. Uh, and is just really not really a great linebacker. I mean, he's okay. He's like a key mirrors ish to a certain extent, but uh, just not great. And you also have the fact that you don't be... Well, here's the thing about from, about Kevin Minter. He's not like young Larry Foote. He's like old Larry Foote, but he's not that old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then you also have the context of Yomi Ken when he was at Washington State, called a lot of the plays. He was given a lot of responsibilities in terms of that defense, in terms of calling plays, and doing a lot of stuff that most middle linebackers are supposed to do. <laughs> when he was at Washington State. So you put all that together, and there you go. I wouldn't call him an edge safety. I would just call him a strong safety that's playing linebacker because you don't have any linebackers to play that position. You know, And he's also a great player. You know, like yes, If you put Troy Palomalo at right. middle linebacker, he'd be a pretty good middle linebacker too. But we wouldn't be saying, oh, it's this new trend in the NFL, putting safety Five, in nine, linebacker. 204 pounds. Guys, a middle linebacker, and it's insulting to Buchanan too because I, I do get the, the when I read the interviews with him and and I know you know Jeff Lloyd you know who talks to talks to him as well you know occasionally on Twitter uh, you know because you guys inbox because we actually interviewed him on you know on the show uh, back in the day where mm-hmm. you know yeah people go when when you say oh he's a new hybrid linebacker you're you're subtly implying oh he's not good in coverage or oh, he can't make plays on the ball, and he can't do this, he can't do that. Yeah, he can do that. It's, yeah. Isn't I, his it's, athletic profile like Tlaib's or something? Yes, Akeem yeah, Tlaib's, exactly. That was his profile. <laughs> so, yes, he can cover, mm-hmm. and he can tackle, and he can run, and he can run your deep. He's, he's very rare. That's the thing that people keep not putting in to their equations. Deion Buchanan is one of the probably 60 or so best players in the league and a rare specimen who has a blend of speed, power, and intelligence that you just don't see very often. Exactly. I mean, and even at that, he's not getting stuck out on the edge either. Where, you know, right. No. <laughs> they're, they're not doing that as well. Now, I have had... Yeah, internal... he, could, he might actually be able to do it, but, you know... Oh, definitely. I mean, any. I mean, anybody can do that. I do understand the sentiment. It's just this weird thing because 
there's all this sort of stuff of like the spread or power football, like what's going to win the day. I don't think any of it's going to win the day. It's just a matter if you execute it right. You know, the Titans are a team that's like, you know what? All these guys are getting all these little linebackers and these little edge safety types, you know, as I like to call them. So I know people are like, wow, James has lost his mind. <laughs> safety. But it's just a fact. You're putting these 218-pound, 210-pound safeties at linebacker. So, yeah, we're going to run power football. And if we execute and we have the personnel to do it, which the Titans do, you're going to have a really good time on offense going up against these teams. At the same time, if you want to be a, a spread offense, you know, that spreads the ball and does all that kind of stuff, you could do that as well. I mean, that that's the that – I, I uh, you know, they were talking on, the, on Twitter the other day. They said, okay, when a team figures out the spread in the NFL, it's going to revolutionize the thing, they're going to win a lot. And I said, you know, I said I, I would – maintain that New England did figure it out and has won a lot. And that when everyone goes to it, Bill Parcells will, I mean, uh, Bill Belichick will probably bring out Joe Gibbs' 1981 playbook and win that way. Exactly. It's really about, (laughs) it's really about understanding what your personnel is and maximizing your personnel. That's what it's always been about. It doesn't matter what era you're in. If you look at your personnel, you look at what you got, you, you look, okay, we got a quarterback who is more of a West Coast guy and you run a West Coast offense, you're going to do really well. You know, like you just have to understand your personnel and execute the offense. And, yeah, you can take concepts from spread football and put it in the NFL, and we have seen an effect of the spread football stuff affecting the NFL in terms of offensive linemen, in terms of defensive linemen, in terms of all that stuff, because we argue all the time about offensive linemen just being kind of clueless because they come out of these spread systems or they're just not very powerful because they've never had to be powerful, you know, in the run game and stuff like that. They've always been in these games where their run blocking mainly came from, you know, huffing and puffing, you know, catching guys off guard because they've been chasing wide receivers and slot receivers all day. So, yeah, you're going to be able to steal stuff and do that sort of stuff at the NFL level, but you can't just have this mentality that, like, this is where the game is going to go when I would say, yeah, not necessarily. I think there's a lot of stuff that kind of stays the same. It's just, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like this whole, you know, line, turning safeties into linebacker stuff is just a reaction to the fact that college football is is causing that to happen. But that doesn't mean that it's automatically going to be the next revolution. It's just what's happening because of the emergence of spread offenses at the college level. And Bill, I do want to talk. I do want to mention something. You talk about the opposite of the edge safety revolution. Dick LeBeau legitimately against the Panthers stuck Jarrell Casey out as a nine tech defensive end. That's awesome. I love it. I I, I think Omar cracked his pants. When he saw Casey's three out to his shoulder, I said, "What's going to be great this year is when they stand Casey up." Yeah, he's he's a little more athletic. Also, he told us somebody people don't is more athletic than somebody realizes. That's a guy who's a better athlete than I think most people realize because they you know, look at him and he does have kind of a you know roly poly 
uh, appearance, but <laughs> he looks like a little like a little pint nose tassel. <laughs> right. But uh, he's he's extremely bendy. He's very yep. he has very quick end. Uh, he's, he's like I said, he's very bendy. So he has very good leverage. <laughs> yes. From almost any position. So and the and the power to do something with it. Which is you know, a really good combination. He's quick he's quick off the ball. He's a guy another guy that's really a better athlete now than he was when he came out of college. He's a guy I think lost about thirty or four thirty or thirty five pounds. Huh. And uh so yeah, I think when he first got to the Titans he was rolling like three thirty five. And uh he's at three oh five now. So it got down all the way to two ninety five. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, he's a he's a guy that kinda uh he's a guy that uh, you know his I think it was his second or third season. He lost a lot of weight and just decided, wow, I like me. I like this guy. I like this version of me. And he's just kept himself there. <laughs> right. Well, well, one is you don't get winded as much. We've always talked about that with the, the big guys in the interior is tempo gives them trouble. Certain things give them trouble. I mean, that's the whole, quote, unquote, magic of, of going up tempo is, it wears on everybody on defense, but especially, you know, the we talked about Jim and I talked about this. I mean, look at college football. Find me a Ted Washington, a Sam Adams, uh, a heck, a Vince Wilfork, uh, a B.J. Raji. Where's the 340, 335, 330-pound guy? There's Can't a handful anywhere. of them anywhere. <laughs> Justin Gilbert, you, you, Gilbert is awful. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, that's, my another, that's another win for me and Bill. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, um, this is some of the ugliest looking coverage you've ever seen in your life. Um, Trevor Sakima, uh, his Twitter feed. I mean, he looks like he's flailing ducks. <laughs> I mean, there's no way a guy like Mike Evans would be out running like that. That was a straight <laughs> go route. Well, you know, when. The athletic profile is more safety than corner. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of that going around. Sort of thing I try to warn people about. Um, even though, I, again, as I told Bill, it's not that I think he'd be a good safety. That's just where the guys with his athletic profile played. So, end up, right, landing. You know, right, end up playing exactly. a safety um, for reasonable reasons in that he, you know, he has stiff hips. He's fast, stiff hips. <laughs> Well, uh, Dennis Winston is out here looking like Dan Marino against this. <laughs> now, 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 first of all, you know, Jameis is growing up. I mean, he's, I was feeling he's going to have a pretty good, pretty good year, but you're right. Um, if you don't get pressure on him and if you have defensive backs who cannot close rapidly on the ball, Jameis will light you up pretty good. To carve you up, you know. I mean, definitely. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing oh about Jameis is that the only things that he's not great at. Um, I mean, he's he's a guy that could sometimes let guys sort of slide off him, but he's not amazing at you know at 
at getting away. And he can be a little deliberate, as other people always pointed out, in getting the ball out. But if you aren't guys at closing the ball anyway, you know, doesn't really matter that much if he's if it comes out a little, you know, a little slower. And then obviously, any quarterback in the NFL who you aren't able to heat up or make uncomfortable doesn't start hurting you. Um, Pick a guy that you know is accurate. Oh, I, I, I said I think James Winston is going to be very good quarterback in the NFL. I still no problem saying that. I never understood why one of those guys had to be bad for the other one to be good. That's that's one of the things that drives me nuts. <laughs> it's the whole if this guy's good and the other guy has to be bad thing. People thought when I had David Carr ranked as my number one quarterback, man, I hated you know, but it's like no, I I like Teddy just fine. I just think David I keep saying David Carr. I knew it Derek Carr. Um that's another guy who could who could still play though. David Carr, if he wanted to, could be a better backup than about half the guys who are number two in the NFL. But um, you know, still getting back to um, getting back to the whole Jameis, the whole you know zero sum game. You know, if then if this then that. Truly, we are seeing, you know, not a flood of good young quarterbacks, but there's a few good young quarterbacks. Let's just enjoy them all. <laughs> you don't have to choose. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. just enjoy it. You have Derek Carr, you have Blake Bortles, you have James Winston. I mean, you have a lot of... I remember at one point there You're was a discussion... Oh, sorry. And, um, <laughs> that, you're talking about Russell Wilson and, you know, all these... I mean, yeah, lots of really good Young quarterback. Yeah, you know, the best one of the bunch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't you know, know and, and him. You know, it should be so funny. Like, you know, Mariota is developing. Like you like you like seeing a guy make. What is this, they say? Make new mistakes. He doesn't seem to make the same mistake twice, which is what I, I think is another mark of a guy who's going to be good. Is that if he makes a mistake, it's at least a different or a new one. And, uh, you know, and, you know, he's maybe a little bit more risk-averse than some of those other guys. Right. Well, as you might remember, my comparison was Alex Smith. And not to say that he is Alex Smith, but he's, I think he's more like Alex Smith than people might realize. First of all, people forget how good and nasty Alex Smith is. But, and of course, people forget that Alex Smith, pre-injury, yeah, but I, I think, you know, Bill, you, you you should be thinking of another 49ers quarterback. What, you mean what Blaine Gabbert? Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no, he did not mean Blaine Gabbert. No, I, I mean uh, Joe Montana. That's where oh. he's going to go. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I... As always, I, I do like historical comparisons. Don't get me wrong. I just don't like to compare people to. It, it, it's like when you know Teddy Bridgewater was being compared to Joe Montana. As much as uh-huh. yeah, there's there's because of skinny traits, legs. Because that why the skinny legs. <laughs> traits, quote unquote, are there sort of, but I just don't think that that's something you should ever do in terms of you know expectations. Uh-huh. I mean, they, you know. I, 
but yeah, but say you you will be tragically wrong if you think it's Alex Smith. It is good. He's risk averse. <laughs> he doesn't throw. When he was at Oregon, he didn't throw a lot of interceptions. You know, he rarely threw any at all. He had the highest touchdown interception touchdown interception ratio out of any quarterback in college football. Yeah, um, yeah. Who else is very risk averse at throwing interceptions? Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, Tom Brady. But but everybody had Peyton Manning was I mean you know Russell Wilson I mean all the all the guys all the anti Christian Hackenberg argument is what I'm trying to make uh, is all I'm trying to say. and this is a guy who's been getting outplayed by Geno Smith people talk about Geno Smith as if he's like the nadir of modern quarterbacking which may or may not be fair but he's getting outplayed regularly in practices just so you know. He's and yet the articles that are coming out. He'll be terrible six years from now. But the articles that are coming out, which are really sad, are like, should we cut Gino Smith now? <laughs> should we should we cut Gino Smith now? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And the if thing is, if you're not going to cut Christian Hagenberg, the, the, the truth of the matter is, Bryce Petty is better than Gino Smith. But... <laughs> The truth of the matter might be Bryce Petty might be better than Pitt. <laughs> now, there is might. a more interesting argument, but by any measure that one can measure quarterbacking, Hackenberg is clearly the worst quarterback on that roster with a lot of room James to Franklin's spare. Fault. That, it wasn't that, for that James Franklin. This would be a totally different story. It, he is. They are. They. He's not even. He. He. It's not even that he's not ready to play in the NFL. He's not even ready to per, to play in practice games in the NFL. Alex Caney is good enough to play in practice games in the NFL. Alex Caney has a better grasp of how to de- how to deliver balls accurately. Alex Caney is freakishly accurate. In fact, that's the one thing. I don't know if you've seen a lot of Alex Caney, but that guy can put a ball. He can do crazy things. Of course, there is like a whole YouTube thing of like crazy football trick shots he can do. But in actual football situations, I've seen him play in person. He played at a school in Millican here in in Illinois. Got to see see him play one time in person. And then he got hurt right after that. So I'm glad I saw him before he got hurt. He also played basketball there. Yes, correct. (laughs) He's and well, from what I understand, he's a pretty good basketball player. <laughs> yep. So, I mean, he, I, I've compared him on Twitter as a guy who's seen both of them play, is that he's a bigger, more athletic version of, uh, of basically a fix. I mean, <laughs> he's a bigger, more accurate, more accurate, more athletic version to fit. And that's not a bad comparison, actually. That's not a bad comparison. He's he's a guy who can do a lot of the same things that Alex. He's not quite the same speed as Alex Smith, but has a lot of those same qualities. He's very accurate. But Alex would be able to be a quarterback if he could throw it across the living room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which is kind of the the shame with Alex Smith because. He wasn't good when his when he had it when he had all of his tools, 
And by the time he figured it out, he had a terrible shoulder injury that pretty much snapped right. all of his arm strength. So right. <laughs> they call him Kaepernick took his manhood. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, so I, sad, still, I still to this day maintain they have a Super Bowl ring in San Francisco if they stayed with Alex Smith. Harbaugh benched the better quarterback because he just, I mean, Alex Smith is not Jim Harbaugh. You know, Jim Harbaugh, Alex Smith was just not his guy. <laughs> well, I think there's two things. I think that Alex Smith seemed a little too, I wasn't soft, but he didn't have the alpha dog thing. Complacent. That, yeah, I guess that's you know. the way to put it. And How about oh my God. alpha Blue dog? Keekly just killed Joe Thune. I mean, he killed him. <laughs> Thune is laying on the ground crying. I mean, Keekly just killed him. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, no, there's a guy who I will go on record as saying is better than I thought he'd be. I... I thought he was a good player, but I didn't see all the fuss. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, he's, he's decent, but I wasn't one of those people that bought in. I saw him at Boston College, like, well, you know, he runs around blocks. So, you know, I used to sort of complain about the little uh-huh. things. Uh-huh. You know, he doesn't really know how to stack and shit. I mean, he's okay. So I didn't really buy in. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I missed there. I was a big old swing and a miss for Bill. Oh, my God. I mean, I mean, oh, my Lord. And this is not going. This is not going to be a fun play for Thune. He put a foot on the tape. I mean, fourth yeah. and one. The middle linebacker walked up and just threw him on the ground. <laughs> see, that's stuff I didn't see him do at Boston College. So I will, like I said, I own that one. I will wear not, that. Not one. only I, threw him on the ground, but actually made the tackle. I mean, just and hit and hit blunt around his shoulders and just stopped it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, that like I said, Luke Keekley, better than I thought he'd be. That's that's you got me there. Oh smokes. <laughs> but yeah, the the linebacker position is a position that the NFL as a whole is struggling to put its finger on. Like, I used to, once again, obviously I grew up rooting for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So originally their linebackers were all these frankly smallish, but very mobile, but very tough also. I mean, Six three and three quarters, two hundred and eighteen pounds, right? I mean, at its heaviest, probably. And uh, you had, you know, Lambert, who still was one of the most frightening players in the league, despite his lack of heft. You had Ham at six one and a half or so, about two twenty five, and early on Andy Russell, who was the heaviest, at about two thirty two, and then later he was replaced. They had a couple other guys who played that position: Robin Cole and Lauren Taves, but. None of them, well, Taves was by the biggest. I think he was about 250. But none of them were giants uh, by your stretch of the imagination. They all could run, and that's why they were able to get away with so much stuff in, in that zone that they, they ran because their linebackers could run with 
you know, name a running back or a tight end of that era, their linebackers would run with every one of them. And then, of course, later they became a 3-4 team, and then they had giant linebackers. Um, you know, you, LeVon Kirkland and Chad Brown and, I mean, just Leviathans. Um, and then Greg Lloyd being the exception, he was like 228. But all the others were enormous. Uh, Jason Gilden. I mean, just basically got all guys who played Kevin Green, all guys who played defensive man, basically, in, um, in college and in high school. Both of, them, both of you guys were defensive linemen defense, uh, in, in both high school as well as college. And then there was kind of the starving times, at least a linebacker, after for a little while they sort of sputzed around. The Steelers, how in yes. the holy heck is L.C. Greenwood not my all Yep. Yep, we've talked about that. Um, some people say it's the same thing that's kept Jerry Kramer out of the Hall of Fame with the Packers, like a fatigue. Don't we have enough Steelers in the Hall of Fame from that era? Don't we have enough Lombardi-era Packers? I guess the Cliff Harris out. Yes, right, exactly. There's that, and, and Drew uh, Pearson to a, probably a slightly lesser extent, that sense that we've got enough of those guys. We have enough Golden Age uh, uh, Cowboys in. Um, we have enough of the the Walsh era 49ers in, um, which I think to some extent hurts Roger Craig, and also the fact that he dropped off fairly significantly uh, after his his prime few years. But but yes, there's certain there's a fatigue you, I think you get with certain or a sense that they've had theirs. You've had yours. You've had enough. But yes, Elsie Greenwood was probably the third or fourth most important player on that defense, and. At times, more than I mean, more than that. There are times he, I mean, he, he's the guy who could take a game over at times. When he found a guy who he could work, who went for certain moves, that guy's he made that guy's life a living hell. I mean, there are games I clearly remember where he just could not be blocked. And then you're, you're worried about Joe Green, who is you know making a mess in the middle of your your offense, and then you got LC just housing your left tackle. And you've got Mel Blunt taking away whoever your best receiver is. It, it was hard. That was, it was a hard way to go. 1975 was, it was 76. That was tough sledding. It was, points were hard to come by across the board. I mean, it was, the like I said, the dead ball era, as I've written before. I mean, that it was like playing football just post-World War II in terms of the scoring. The scoring in that little time frame was at the lowest it had been basically post-World War II. It was amazing, which is why they changed all the rules. It was amazingly hard to, to move the football. And then they changed the rules, and then West Coast offense came along, at least in part with the help of the changed rules, and then bada-bing, bada-boom, and now we're here. But when we look at college football, obviously college football and pro football work hand-in-glove to a certain extent, partially because there is no developmental league for pro football, and partially because, I mean, that's where you get your talent from. It is your talent pool. So as Jim pointed out, if there are no zero techniques in college football, then pro football will soon have to acknowledge that fact. Like there's, you either have to get guys who are 310 pounds coming out of college and put 25, 30 pounds on them, which isn't impossible to do. We've seen it happen. But sometimes just getting a guy heavier doesn't make him a zero technique, doesn't make him a true nose. He's just a 
and doesn't make heavier, him a good player. And it doesn't make him a good player. Like, now he's just a heavier three-tech, you know? Now he's just an out-of-shape <laughs> three-tech, which we've seen this happen. We've seen people try to turn guys into nose guards by getting them heavier, and then they're just heavier. I mean, they don't become stouter better or more players. powerful. They're better players, right. They're just heavier. <laughs> and you have this other issue, the Zach Kerr issue, where you have a guy – <laughs> who is extremely productive and extremely athletic and is yes. what you want at a, as a nose tackle. Yes. And you just don't draft that guy uh, for reasons. Because yes. you just don't care anymore about stuff. <laughs> Has Josh Gordon really not played football in three years? Well, yes. something like that. Yeah, he's been – He's still been working out, obviously. And, in fact, apparently at one point he and Robert Griffin III were uh, working out from what I've been hearing together. But, yes, well, uh, he uh, and some of his – yeah. He just gave this this 24. I don't know who he is, but <laughs> Lord have mercy. Yeah, he's working, guys. He's giving – well, first of all, Josh Gordon is – I mean, you may have guessed this. He's super motivated. He's got some things to prove. So he's got some money he, to make. And he's got, got some money to make. Money. Right. Josh knows this is it. Right. He knows this is it. If he shows up and looks bad, that's it. Not only will he likely get cut if he doesn't look good, but there will be no secondary market if he doesn't look like the Josh Gordon that people – oh, that he is that Josh Gordon, the one that was, oh, yeah, the guy who went for like 1,400 yards and – 13 games or whatever it was, um, that Josh Gordon, yes, that one. He needs to look yeah, like, he, oh, stupid, you yeah. Who is this 24? I mean, <laughs> I mean, that, that guy, you just tell me, he looked up at his face when, they, when Griffin just threw that ball in the air and goes, oh, dog, I got no chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Yeah, that's – well, that's tough sledding. I mean, because as pointed out earlier, Josh Gordon, when he was – well, first of all, playing football. But, I mean, when he was at his best, he was pushing towards top oh, fish 70. I know who that 24 is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who is it, Jim? Brent Grimes. Oh, Grimesy. He had a nice little run in the league, but, I mean, let's be honest. He was always a guy that was kind of getting by on, or at least for the last few years, getting by on, you know, guile and, you know. Hold on a second. Miko Grimes is going to tweet at you, Bill. Careful what you she, could, she could tweet at me how she was. Uh, I've been watching Brent Grimes since he was in college, and I was a Brent Grimes, and still am in many ways a Brent Grimes fan. I mean, if I'm not pulling for Brent Grimes, I don't know who I'm pulling for. But let's be very clear here. This is not the prime of Grimes. This is this is the guy who's you know this like, is the latter get... years of Grimes definitely. And the weird the, the weird thing is is you know they have Werner on the right side and they have Hargraves as his backup. Wouldn't that be <laughs> wouldn't that be Hargraves starting and Werner on the other side? I I, I don't know. That would seem like a good idea to me. I mean, if you're asking but, me what I would again, do. But then again, and I contend, this is a secondary that has Chris Conti as their starting strong safety. So that should <laughs> tell you everything well, you that, need to know. Is there, 
Is that Conky I see coming over late? <laughs> that that, oh, that, that is that. indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, was that Conti I see taking that terrible angle and, you know, showing up after the touchdown <laughs> yes. was? Yes. Conti, Chris Conti is an example. Chris Conti is an example of a man that can make anybody, you know what, if Chris Conti can be a starting NFL safety, so can I. You know, Chris Conti was playing back in the olden days, you know, which would never happen, but if he was, you know, Bill would be like, you know what? I may be short. I may not be the fastest guy, but if Chris Conti is starting NFL safety, so but the one thing I will I. say, but one thing I will say, I, I certainly knew how to take better angles, and I, I would and tackle people definitely. Yeah, I, I, I mean that's that. the one thing I really could do. I really was. I mean, I'm not the, I had very little mm-hmm. talent, but I was one hell of a tackler. <laughs> I was a form tackler for your behind. I, the whole thing, cut your tail, sky your eyes, wrap, squeeze, run your feet. I mean, it was like an instructional tape. Now, sadly, I was undersized and slow, but my gosh, my coaches, one thing they would say is they would point to some other kid like, hey, see the way he's doing that? Now, if you do that, you know, because they, they'd like pick – we had two enormous safeties for high school football. A kid who was six foot three and about 190 pounds named Norman Warren, and then a guy who went on to be an All-American at UCLA named Matt Darby were our two safeties. We must have had two of the biggest, most athletic safeties anywhere in high school football at Virginia Beach, Virginia's Green Run High School. And so here I am backing up these. These are two kids who are like a year younger than me, too, to further drive in the <laughs> me getting it that this isn't going to happen. So these guys are like juniors at the time, and I'm being used, you know, as a demonstrator model. Like, okay, if you two giant freaks can do what this little dude is doing, you're going to be fine. Uh, and then to their credit, they, they were very fast learners. And I, like I said, the dream died early for me. But I, I got a chance to see what a future NFL safety looks like up close because that's what they look like. They look like back both guys. Wow. But, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if, if looks could kill, Sean Payton would have just dropped and just ate right away. <laughs> he was shot with a cannon. Yeah, well, this Sean Payton's going to have to make some changes. I mean, I'm not trying to tell him how to do his job. The man has forgotten more football than I'll ever know. But if his plan is to build around, you know, that Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame quarterback, you know, some things are going to have to happen. Some some guys are going to have to go, and some new guys Start are going to have to go. Yeah, I guess that's that. what else. It's, it's as yeah. simple as that. Now, I will say this much. You don't have to draft great every single year, but you still got to draft it. You still have to have one draft that's good that you can hang your hat on and go, yeah, we punted this year. Like the Patriots, you know, they punted. I mean, seriously, their 2014 draft was not good. It was really bad. You look at it in hindsight. But they're still the Patriots because they had some good drafts mixed in with the bad draft. You can't consistently have – Eh, draft, eh, draft, ooh, draft. That's just not gonna, not gonna work. That's all I can say about the Saints. They have to yeah, draft better. Period. I yeah. did a uh, 2013 redraft, and uh, a redraft, and the Patriots out of that one would have gotten. If you redrafted it, two guys taking the first round, including one taking in the top three. To 
So <laughs> that was their makeup while everybody else was drafting shitty. Except the Lions for some the Lions came out of twenty thirteen with a pretty dead dumb decent draft. <laughs> if you put up with the Lions of the last mm-hmm. few drafts, I mean, they've had some that were, you know, average or so so, but they've gone from being a team that was once kind of a laughing stock, so I think they're probably one of the they're in the top half, I think, of the NFL in terms of the last three or four drafts, I think would be fair to say. I, I, you know, you say that, Bill, but when you take Eric Ebron over Odo Beckham Jr. Oh, well, yeah. I guess we'll never look back down. No, <laughs> see, that was the, see, that was the very next year, you know, after you after you hit on Ezekiel Amsaw, and then you hit on Slay, and then you probably kind of hit on Warford if you can keep him healthy, and you hit on Taylor in the fourth, you know, that's four starters out of that 2013 draft. Right. <laughs> there was like, I think, 30 starters in the NFL in the whole damn thing. So, <laughs> so uh, and then the next year, you took Eric Ebron over. You took Eric Ebron, and the next three picks were Taylor Lewan. Odell yeah, Beckham, you basically took Ed Dixon. <laughs> basically, took Ed Dixon over Odell Beckham Jr. And I know, and believe me, I know Eric. I know Eric Ebron. I know he has the Campbell's Chicken Soup, you know, commercials now and all that yes. kind of stuff. I, yeah, I that commercial cracks me up because they say NFL uh, superstars. Superstars. And I keep thinking and what they like should say is five <laughs> NFL superstars and Eric Ebron is what they probably should say. Exactly. Uh, it, it's just, I don't know. It is I mean, you know, you can decide whatever you want to say. Uh, I, my, my contention is that, yes, the 2013 draft is good for the Lions. 2014 was not. 2015, I don't even want to get into. But, you know, I that's my only issue with the Lions draft. And, and, the, and the 14 draft also, I mean, the Icovinoy, who was, and they got a couple other guys, in that draft that they try to develop, which haven't developed in anything yet. So it's, well, yeah, uh, that's kind of the weirdest thing about that was a straight four three team taking Kyle Van Oy. Yeah. <laughs> Who, but I, I, I can do one that, thing well, and it's yeah, rush the passer out of the three four. <laughs> I, I do understand that. It's the same thing as like you know moving to Beasley, another W that I'm going to be thinking. Um, <clears throat> I kind of say a W over force players or whatever, uh, is that, you know, you, ha- you have a situation where I told everybody that he was not a starting defensive end, was more of a second-round Sam linebacker, and that's starting right. to show itself. Yes. You know. I think Sam yes. linebacker might be generous. <laughs> <laughs> At I least mean, a Sam he's... linebacker, athletically speaking. It doesn't mean he's a good Sam linebacker. It's uh, it just means that he's DeJuan like a Barcelona Mingo kind of guy, you know. DeJuan James whipped his ass last night. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he's a good tackle, you know. I think <laughs> Juwan James is main. I mean, he is, in terms of pass protection, Juwan James is really good. In terms of run block, he's eh, not so much. Yeah. Right, but <laughs> yeah. but I do think that. Mm-hmm. People who lost their minds over him going in the first round and going, "Oh my gosh, he took Juwan James." Bust was just a little too soon on that, you know. He, he's a he's a starting, you know, NFL tackle. Uh, he just isn't quite 
a mauler in the run game or anything like that, you know. Well, no. what happened last night is when a starting NFL tackle gets his hands on a safety. Pretty much, pretty much, because for as much as Vic Beasley, I mean, for as much as Vic Beasley, you know, got those gains going, you know, in the pre-draft process, it's starting to go away, you know. He's starting to revert back to his old self, and that's the best situation you want to be, you know. Right. I'm always a little leery of the putting the guy who puts on 16 pounds, you know, right before the combine or whatever. Like oh okay so now you're turning forty four pounds you're turning forty six whatever it was he weighed in it's like well I know you were playing during the season about six twenty eight so yeah um, I'm gonna I'm gonna wonder if that if you can weigh that how consistently how can this guy have fifty seven hundred followers. I'm looking at a guy who's legit, who's legitimately, who's legitimately complaining that the Browns are playing Josh Gordon in a preseason game because he can't play in the first four games. What you'd rather see somebody else play? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess. I mean, it is Browns fans, you know. I guess, but you would. Um, I'm assuming I mean, you would like to see your quarterback get used to throwing the football in game situations to probably your most talented playmaker, right? I mean, isn't that something you would want? I mean, what you you you, you want to see Taylor Gabriel play? <laughs> Who's not a bad player, but you'd rather right. see Andrew Hawkins? <laughs> <laughs> kind of the same. Same thing, but yes. I mean, Gary, once again, Andy, these are is your is your cup of tea. Carl Lewis, Marlon Moore. You'd rather see them. <laughs> well, I was thinking they got Josh Boyce too. Get it, get him some reps. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the Browns. The Browns are a weird situation because you know Hugh Jackson. This is the thing I know about Hugh Jackson. His time at Oakland, he's a quarterback whisperer. You know, he yeah. get he get a quarterback. You know, he he turned Jason Campbell from, you know, he was still Jason Campbell, but he got the I mean the best stuff I've seen at Jason Campbell for the most part was him on the Raiders in terms of you know under Hugh Jackson. Uh, and not to say that RG three and and Jason Campbell are the same quarterback, similar situation because they're coming from Washington Redskins and you know that kind of thing, but. Uh, you know, but I, I do think that this is an interesting, it's an inter, interesting situation where you have the wide receivers are obviously there if they stay out of trouble. You have offensive line that is good. I mean, I don't really like the right tackle situation. That's it's kind of like the Raiders in terms of that. But oh well, you know, lots of teams are like that. The, hmm. you know, you have you have pretty much everything you really need to have a really good offense and the defense is not elite by any stretch of the imagination, but it gets it done. Is that enough to get them to, you know, have a winning season and go to the playoffs, or is this just going to be kind of like the Oakland Raiders where it was 8-18? Eight and 18? I don't know. I mean, in terms of optimism, I don't know how optimistic you can be about the Browns, but I do think that there's something interesting there, just a matter of if they can keep it up and fix some of the holes that show up. 
as as they emerge, I guess. Right. I think the two things got to be if the Raiders defense, you know, we talked about the uh, the Raiders defense and the Browns are similar things we have, I guess what I'm trying to say. Now, you've got Kudo Man. Once again, he covers the whole thing. Is it just I, my I phone cannot... going out? I didn't know. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, I... Yeah, I was just saying that I get excited, obviously, when Khalil Mack is on the field. And obviously the Browns could have had Khalil Mack, easily enough, as we discussed. discussed. And, and, and Derek Carr, easily enough, as we discussed in the past, but they went in a different direction there. Um, but that's what the Browns don't quite have. Uh, maybe now it looks like they have a quarterback, but they don't have a guy on defense who is Khalil Mack or, or even some – reasonable representation of that kind of defensive playmaker. There's nobody I can point to and say, They don't have a superstar. No, they do not. But what they They do do have, but what they do have, which is the, you know, I hate to say money ball approach, but I just have to. They do have a collection of Xavier Cooper is finally starting. He's a, you know, I think he's going to be a really good player this year. Yes. Uh, Emmanuel Ogba is going to be able to do his thing. He's still figuring stuff out, but he still has, that get off, which is going to get him a few sacks. Of course, yep. you have Carl Nassib, who's a jag by certain people, but he's going to show that he's more than a jag. And Joe yes, Schubert is more than a jag. He's going to show True. you, you know, that hey, you know, I hey, I did beat Cam Robinson consistently at special. Yes, I think I can do this similar thing in the NFL against certain matchups. So I mean, there, there's no superstar, but this could be a situation like what the Patriots kind of do, which is. They never really always have a superstar because they just can't pay them. I mean, anytime <laughs> they have a good player who comes out and they get to the paying time, Belichick is like, "I'm, I, I like you, but I don't like you that much." You know, like I, I'm going to trade you, you know, because uh, I, I just feel like doing that because I don't want to pay. Uh, I don't want you to hold out either. Like if you hold out with, with the Patriots, they're just not going to have any of it. You know, this is what we're going to pay you, and that's it. Uh, but I think in terms of the Belichick's approach to defense, not, you know, recently has been to cobble together a committee of guys that aren't superstars, but they just do enough to really make that defense, you know, cohesive. And, you know, like you'll never be like, wow, that was a great defense, but they get the job done. Um, and I, I think that's kind of what they're going for, I suppose, right now. But, yeah, I mean, you're not going to have a guy like Mac who, solves a lot of issues and makes other people look mm-hmm. good around him, you know, which is another sort of benefit to Mac is he makes other people around him look good just by him doing his thing. Yeah. So that's, so some of the other guys that, that I've been excited about now, unfortunately um, he hasn't been able to remain a hundred percent healthy, but anyone who knows anything about me knows I've been a big Nelson Spruce fan throughout his career at Colorado and, the Rams' receiving core, as a whole, has sometimes had a problem with catching the football, except Nelson Spruce, who apparently 
all throughout practices, and obviously if you've seen him play in the preseason game, if the ball touches his hands, that's it. He's caught it. It is a catch. He's not getting away. He's not going anywhere. It's staying right there. Now, he is completely average, typically, probably even slightly below average in some ways. But he understands how defenses work and how to get open, particularly against zones. He is Mr. Settle Down in the dead spot in the zone, and I'll be here if you need me. Uh, that's a guy that is exactly who I thought he would be, and I think he's going to end up, like I said, not just making the team, but I think he's going to see the field some. I mean, they don't have a lot of really super reliable catchers of the football on that roster. No, they don't. That's, that's, <laughs> that is true. But Nelson Spruce catches the ball extremely well. You know, so oh, once yeah. again, I'm not trying to tell Jeff Fisher how to do his job, but not only would I keep Nelson Spruce, I uh, would, you know, not only would I not cut him, but I would work him into the rotation a little further up so that he saw the field strictly on third down situations. I think he's exactly the kind of guy who will get you, consistently get you first down, especially if they're, you know, third and not too many yards. But he's he's a little, even though he's not terribly fast, he's a little quicker, a little more slippery than people realize. But that's a guy that, that's caught my eye quite a bit. And obviously everyone's, you know, blathered into about Dak enough. Um, <laughs> let's see. If any, any other... Uh, uh, so you want me to blab about Todd Bay? <laughs> oh. Now, now, Tajay Sharp's an interesting situation because I, I saw people get super excited about that kid Higgins from Colorado State. Who was that other sort of okay receiver that people went nuts over? Um that was another one. Can't remember the other one. But Higgins and then some other dude. And I was sort of like wondering if you're excited about a guy who's a route runner and, you know, understands certain things and catch the ball and all that, I always wondered why why wouldn't you, you know, give your love to Tasha Sharp instead of a guy like like Higgins? Who isn't? I mean, Rashad Higgins isn't terrible, but I just think Sharp can do every literally everything that he can do slightly better than he can do it, and on a bigger frame. But, yes, it looks like you found something there. I mean, I I think you'll end up, if not starting, and he probably should, um, it's very easy. He he actually took the starting position from DGB and Kendall Wright in my training, like OTAs. (laughs) Yes, right. Uh, The quarterback loves him, which – Right. Yeah, which is, you know, in, in, in any receiver situation, uh, the quarterback loving you is the uh, – is the if you want to talk about the number one, uh, you know, determination of your production, some of it is the quarterback will throw you the ball. Feels comfortable throwing you the ball. Uh, right. He has really his strengths that, that he's not a great athlete. Uh, no. And, uh, he's. I think he may be a better athlete than he tested because I think he was got hurt during his testing. So, yeah, I think so. Matt, I think he probably has better jumps than he showed. But uh, I would have loved to have seen him run a three cone because I bet he would have run an amazing three cone. 
which would have been a different story with his athletic profile. So because he 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 turns it, you know, he turns magically uh, in terms of how he can run his routes. Uh, every he basically every route at the beginning looks like a go. So until he gets to the top of the stem, really the defensive back doesn't know what he's going to do. So yep. that's which goes a long way towards. I I think people massively underrate how important the ability to have doubt in the minds of defensive backs is. So I see people sort of sometimes poo-poo how important, you know, the art of route running is or whatever. I mean, I, I cannot stress enough how many guys don't make it or don't become particularly good simply because they lack the ability to make it hard for defensive backs to know what they're doing. There's a lot of guys that tip their pitches. And if you look at the throws, that some of the throws that, that to him that they showed, you'll see the Marcus uh, really releasing those throws pretty early because he has a lot of faith that Sharp is going to be there where he's supposed to be, yep. which is, I mean, he's not something really you can have with a DGB. <laughs> Well, with a with a with a DGB, you kind of need to wait and see where he goes, <laughs> which kind of throws anticipation out the window. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Missouri, it was yellow ball. That's really all it was. It was, hey, you gonna run this? You run this go route, and I'll throw you the ball really high, and then you go get it. Right. That's right. a lot of what he did. That is exactly what he did. You know, a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, overmatched, just physically overmatched, which he did, you know, whoever it was, and I'm going to throw the ball, as you said, you know, high and outside, and you, you know, snatch it and come down and yep. know, be bigger. That's it. <laughs> He's bigger than the other guy, so he takes advantage of it. And so the and the other thing that I think is his strength, he has incre- he has incredibly strong hands in terms of yep. being able to pull the ball in uh, to make catches that are contested with with bodies around him uh, to make catches that should be easy. He does they they are easy. Uh, he's very very natural at catching the ball. Uh, he's he's up there in terms of catching the ball with uh, with Matthew and. Uh, even Odell Beckham in terms of the ability to just snatch the ball out of the air with his hands. Uh, yep. You, you can see, you can see a, you, if you put him against Justin Hunter, you can see a noticeable difference in how they press <laughs> the ball. <laughs> yeah, one uh, of the things I like to do, so when, I, when I'm at a pro day or when I'm at the combine or whatever, during the wide receiver drills, I like to just sort of close my eyes and listen to the guys' reps. And you can hear that there's a guy with great hands, a guy with okay hands, a guy with bad hands. It's, it's they're, you know, it's quiet. Here's something people don't realize. If you're not where the talking heads are blabbing away during the combine, the combine is actually really quiet. And you can hear. It's like when a guy really has great hands, it's almost like a vacuum cleaner. I mean, it's literally in the sound. I mean, it's like when you put your hand over a vacuum cleaner and it kind of, like the suction, it's almost like that. When a guy has really great hands, it's almost like the ball is sucked almost audibly into his hand. 
And when a guy has, yeah. you know, average hands, not bad, but average hands, there's a little bit of a slap sound. Um, like a guy dribbling a basketball. And then when a guy has really bad hands, you can literally hear it. And it's not a clanking. I mean, it's not that bad. But it's a heaviness. There's a like when you hit a, a a shot fat when you're golfing, you know, that sound that, oh, man, mm-hmm. you know, that's that sound. It's that, you know, a little too much of because the guy is fighting the ball. You can hear it. You can hear that a guy doesn't know how to to let the ball into his hands, that he's, he, he wants to do the right thing. He wants to extend out. He wants, but whether it be because it's of the timing being off or that he just doesn't know how to use his hands, position his hands to receive the ball correctly. There is a very heavy, you know, like I said, it's like the, it's some, like I said, like the sound when you miss hit a shot in golf. It's like a lot of, you know, there's a, and sometimes you hear a double sound, like you can tell, like it kind of bounces around in there. But yeah, that's what I tell people. You know, when Matthew was at LSU and coming out, he was five ten, but he played six four. I mean, he's because. He knew he. You talk about a guy that just believed in his hands. He knew mm-hmm. he knew his hands weren't going to let him down. So he's always always been able to be very aggressive going to the ball. And guys that are taller that maybe don't have as much confidence in their hands, they don't really have the catch radius that he does. So and that's the same with Tajay Sharp. He has a huge catch radius, mainly because he knows his hands will work for him. I mean, he he knows. It. If that ball can be caught, I can catch it. So yep. I don't I don't need my body to catch the ball. So and so you know he can be very aggressive in how he goes after the ball with his hands. So he plays a little taller. He plays taller than he is. I mean he's six two, but he probably plays like six three or six four, six five right area. He probably right. plays as tall as he did. So yeah, of course. He and, and as you pointed out, most importantly, you know he's going to be on the field. You know where he's going to be off the field, which that <laughs> case is just as important, if not more important. So, to me, it doesn't seem like a. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy with a. He's a guy. He's another little guy they talk about with a chip on their shoulder. Yes. Why? You know, he, he sees guys that are that aren't as good as him. That did. That you know, he had to go play at UMass and. He had to be a fifth-round pick, and, you know, he sees guys that aren't as good as him that, you know, went to play in the SEC, and <laughs> and he's a yeah. little chippy about it. So. Yes. You know, so and, a uh, couple of guys, who, you know, between <laughs> Trey McBride, who still hasn't really gotten as much run as I hope he does get at some point, but between those two, those are two guys mm-hmm. with probably amongst the most I'll show you, you know, in their game. So hopefully, you know, those guys will get a chance to show what they can do. But I, I really do like Tajay Sharp a great deal. He He's such a professional receiver with everything that goes with that. He was incredibly productive. I mean, you yes. know, he, he, so, I mean, throughout his, throughout his entire, really his entire college career, from yes. when he first got there till he left. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, he was a, I think, all the things you talked about, all the qualities you talked about are things that have, were 
very much on display on film in college, and he made it easy for Fun Apple or whoever because, as you pointed out, uh, he's a good-sized target. He knows how to run routes as very well, and if the ball's very close to him, he's going to catch it. He knows uh, you know, he can do a little bit with it after the catch, and like I said, most importantly, he knows how to get the necessary space, the necessary room for you to get the ball in there. So that he's pretty, like I say, pretty well developed. I mean, he's he's got yeah, he, a yeah, lot he, of the skills. He knows how to use his route to create space for the for his quarterback. So right, and you know, he he's the, he's he's what I call an example of a football player who knows what he's doing out there. He's a plan. Okay, and so and like I said, if you tell if you tell Tajay, I need you to go eight yards and go to the flag. He hits that eight yards and goes to the flag. So and that's where you know, and that's where he's going to be. So you know, as a quarterback, you can throw to a spot and not necessarily to a guy, knowing that the quarter that the receiver is going to be there is going to not make you look bad because. Uh, as a quarterback, uh, if you're if you're throw, trying to throw with some anticipation, uh, a wide receiver that you can't depend on to be where he's supposed to be will make you look awful. <laughs> You'll be up in the press conference talking about the pitch you're throwing, and right. uh, so and so that's a, like I said, he's he's a very good player and. Uh, Amongst the, the the players in the class, uh, really pleased. Uh, Johnson, I think, is a little slower, lower, slower coming along, but he's starting to, and that's kind of was expected because he's actually being asked really to play a different position than when he played in college. So, uh, surprise, Bill, probably be one of your guys, Big Antoine Wood. Uh, oh yes, <laughs> and Antoine mm-hmm. Wood is is a legitimate nose tackle. Yeah, so I was going to say. Yes, I was going to say. <laughs> he's not a guy they're trying to fatten up to a zero. <laughs> no, no, he is legitimately <laughs> right in that 330-something range, at least. Um, so, yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, you are right about that. So, he is which every is, bit. Which is not... The, but that's the thing about those run stuffers because they're not really all that valued. Uh, you can get them later unless you're like Cleveland and you draft Danny Shelton first with the 12th overall pick. Right. Yeah, so I agree. Woods, Woods is a guy that when used to do what it is he does well, does what he does well, well does it at a high level. Jim, are there any guys you've seen that caught your eye? Uh, maybe you haven't been discussed that much, but you, you I mean there may be guys that you were already already liked going in, they've confirmed, or maybe guys that have shown up that you hadn't already identified. Hmm. Not really. Uh, for the most part, uh, I think. I mean, in terms of just the Raiders, uh, it's been kind of rough to a certain extent. Uh, so, so none of the rookies have stood out so far to you. Amongst I mean, DeAndre, the DeAndre Washington has stuck yeah. out a little bit in terms of his face, which is what he kind of was at Texas Tech. 
Uh, Jalen Richards. In the return game, yeah. Yeah, Jalen Richards kind of shown some stuff. Um, George Atkinson has done what he has always done at Notre. I mean, even back to Notre Dame, you know, he can. He's a home run hitter, you know. Um, right. But that's about it in terms of his stuff. Um, Jihad Ward is now our defensive tackle. Which is, um, you know, I we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Chalik Calhoun kind of looks like Alex Okafor. If Alex Okafor didn't know how to use his hands very well consistently, uh, Corey James is okay. But um, yeah, there just hasn't really been Drew Idings, though. Uh, oh has done some interesting stuff. He's kind of a, a uh, you know, a really big, strong guy. But um, that's really it. I mean, I my optimism for the Raiders is pretty much as much as it was last year, only in the sense of, yeah, we got Amari Cooper. Yeah, Derek Carr's great. Yeah, if you just look at the offensive line, you know, you have Donald Penn, you have, you know, Kalichi, you have Gabe Jackson, you have Ronnie Hudson. That that's good. But then the right tackle situation is then Lake Watson, who's backed up by Austin Howard, who's backed up <laughs> or, or by Denver Watson. <laughs> exactly. And the backup to Gabe Jackson is Matt Alexander, and the backup to uh, to you know the guy we we threw tackle money at literally, and you know Austin Ellie. From Baltimore, and don't get me wrong, he's a he's a really good player. But we literally threw top end tackle money to a guy who's now playing guard instead of putting him at right tackle, which I think would have worked. Uh, you know, backing him up is John Feliciano. So I um, my issue is more depth than anything else on the team. So I mean, I think it'll work out well. The defense I still don't think is great. I think it's okay. You know, any defense that has Khalil Mack is going to be able to do. Um, is going to be able to cover up a lot of things if you got a guy who can bring consistent pressure. But I still have uh, doubts at a winning season, I guess. Just in terms of a competition, you know, because Denver is still Denver. I mean, Denver's situation <laughs> quarterback is a mess, but the defense is relatively still the same defense that it was last year, which is going to be a top-five defense. Uh, the offense still has firepower. The running back situation is still it, but it's still there. Kansas City is similar to the same situation. I think their secondary is going to be one of the best in the NFL, too, this year. So I just think the Raiders, unfortunately, just by sheer talent alone, are going to be kind of the third team in the AFC West just because all these other teams have much better defenses. uh, And even though their offenses aren't as good as the Raiders, um, for the most part, I, you know, to, to a certain extent. I think that that's just not going to be enough to really push them over the hump. So that that's my only issue for the Raiders, I guess. But we're on the right track, kind of. There you go. We're slowly getting better. <laughs> it's not total, you know, suicide now type of thing. You know. at, at, at least the, the funny thing is, is you know, again, I I was I was during an era when the Raiders were consistently two and fourteen and four and twelve. So if eight and eight is is what I'm expecting. I'm happy about that. Like that's good. You know, I, like that's that's nice. 
Well, uh, yeah, as mentioned before, I think it's a team that's very much headed in the right direction. Probably one more really good draft away from being a legitimate contender. Yeah, you know, if so we can do it. Right. If, if well, Reggie McKenzie can stop punting the second round because you just uh, – yeah, whatever. I mean, we'll see. You know, again, maybe I'm completely wrong about Mario Edwards, who had kind of a weight issue coming in this year, and I'm completely – which I told you guys, you know, they said Mario Edwards Jr. is hungry to prove everybody wrong, but I think they meant the opposite. He's actually hungry. He wants something to eat. Uh, and then, of course, Jihad Ward is uh, – I just – I mean, Jihad Ward was the guy I had coming in as a seventh-rounder, and one senior bowl changes everything, and he becomes the second rounder. <laughs> yes. That was an astonishing situation. <laughs> uh, and he has a great name. I mean, again, if sure. Khalil Mack's name was Jihad Mack, that is – like the perfect encapsulation of him. Yeah, Khalil Mack is still a really cool name. Don't get me wrong, but yes. Jihad Mack, you know. <laughs> then he would be in that Chucky Soup commercial instead of Eric Ebron. His name was Jihad Pretty Mack. much. I mean, I, and I know, what's with all the offensive players in that? You know, no Khalil Mack, no, no IDP love, you know. I don't know. But, yeah. Yeah. Now, we also have college football about to kick off. Now, some people have complained uh, about the matchup, Cal-Hawaii, and about the location, uh, which is Australia, of all places. Um, It's a chance to see Davis Webb, for Davis Webb fans, uh, replacing Jared Goff. You know, good luck with that. Um, Hawaii gets some love, you know, nationally speaking, which doesn't happen very often. It happened, I guess, most recently when they were in the Sugar Bowl about nine years ago, something like that, Uh, however long ago that was. You know, sort of forced America to pay attention to Hawaii football, uh, which has unfortunately fallen on really hard times. And, in fact, at one point there was talk that Hawaii might Either football program, yeah, or 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 try to downclassify to FBS or something. So, so yeah, support uh, Hawaii Rainbow Warriors football, everyone. Um, you know, buy a jersey or go to a game or something. Uh, they could really use the help. Um, hopefully, that I mean, the amazing number of players from Hawaii end up getting sort of the per capita of it, end up making it. But nowadays, most of them do not go to Hawaii. Uh, you they don't go to other teams. Right. You, know. you don't see Marcus Mariota going to play at Hawaii or, I mean, any of the really good players there, you know, Teo or whoever, any of them. You don't see any of them staying uh, on the island to play their college football anymore, uh, which I suppose I understand, but it would be nice if at least some of those guys would, you know, rep their home home school, but I am excited, at least to some extent, to see what happens with, uh, it'd be nice if Hawaii can make a good show of it. Tim Rolovich, who 
it seems like only yesterday was playing. Uh, to at least to me, of course, is now uh, running the program there. He is uh, Nick Rolovich. I mean, sorry, Nick Rolovich. Uh, he was uh, Nevada's coordinator for a minute. Uh, he's been a quarterbacks coach and obviously was, like I said, a very fine quarterback himself. I think he, I think at one point he and Hey, Bill, my beautiful wife is awake, so I'm going to have to drop off. Not a problem. Well, um, thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, Steve, just anytime you're available, love to have you. Um, whatever you're up to, well, I guess you're not too much, but uh, we'll talk more later. Okay. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, so I think uh, – see you soon. I think the program is in somewhat good hands if they can, you know, maintain the program. But – as always, Hawaii has a pretty decent group of receivers, and at least one or two of those guys, as always, will probably be in NFL camps. Uh, but they just don't have the ability to give you well, – the funny thing is they used to have a really good number of – we talk about offensive line play and defensive line play. They used to be particularly on the interior of their offensive and defensive line. Hawaii used to have guys, you know, um, guys who were NFL types could be found reasonably often on their, um, you know, you know, big old nose tackle types and guard center types, things like that, used to be pretty decent at Hawaii. That has more recently been not the case. Uh, and once again, I guess some of it's just the, the loss of talent, guys not staying on the island. I'm a little surprised. That more, I mean, obviously it's it's like I said, a little off the beaten path. But if you're a guy who's, you know, going to Southern Utah otherwise, or if you're choosing between, and Eastern Washington and Southern Utah are great programs, but Hawaii is a decent option, I would think, if you're a guy who's otherwise thinking about, you know, Southern Utah or Eastern Washington. I mean, those are, like I said, I mean, those are really good FCS programs, but. Hawaii is FBS and it's Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I would say the issue with Hawaii is the fact that it's not like a top place for scouts to go to and watch Good. football. Good. And not only that, but the games are played later, so you have to yes. be really Very committed. <laughs> to watching Hawaii football. Like, you have to basically decide, you know what, I could be watching this, you know, Georgia tape and uh, an LSU tape and all that kind of stuff, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to watch some Hawaii football. I'm going to stay up to midnight to catch some Hawaii football, which isn't always consistently good in terms of, you know, just offense and defense are not always the best that they could possibly be. So, I would say those those are really the big dishads. Yeah, it's in Hawaii, and Hawaii is great, don't get me wrong, but uh, you have this issue of because they aren't, you know, the Hawaii of, you know, like you said, the Hawaii from nine, ten years ago, uh, they're, it's just slowly, like every single Mountain West team, for the most part, except for Boise, but for the most part, all the Mountain West teams just seem to be continuing to degrade and degrade and degrade until you kind of hit a breaking point, I guess. 
where people just don't want to play there because they're not going to get watched. And if they don't get watched, they're not going to get attention. And if they don't get attention, they're not going to, you know, it's like... And then all of a sudden, some of the FCS programs, I guess, look a little... Yeah, I guess I can see how somebody might say, hey, I'm going... Well, instead, I'm going to go to Eastern Washington. I have a better chance of getting spotted. Yeah, you know. Interesting. Huh. But yeah, I guess I guess that makes sense. Still, like I said, I'm hoping that they get a chance to show their wares, I guess is what I was saying. I hope they get a chance to and hopefully they you know, if they show up and look good and play well, you know, win or lose. Like I said, it'll be good attention. People will see, you know, this is a legitimate program and they play good football. I think they will because um I mean, Cal's defense is still iffy, and True. their offense is still iffy to a certain extent. In terms of offensive linemen, I mean, because golf, you know, did not have the best offensive line when he was there. Uh, you know, so no. there, there's definitely potential there. And, of course, why is Paul Harris, you know, a running back who um, I think is uh, criminally underrated um, at running back. Uh, for them, who could have a really big day. So, I mean, there's there's lots of things uh, uh, that he can be – there's lots of things saying that this could be a lot more competitive of a game than uh, than you think. Right. And I, like I said, I am looking forward to it. Like I said, at least in part because <laughs> I understand what you're saying about, you know, you have how you have to make a commitment. Um, you know, make an appointment, convince yourself, talk yourself into it, whatever trick you want to use. Uh, but this is good. It's cool in my mind to see, you know, them get that opportunity, you know, to show their wares, whatever term you want to use uh, to describe it. Because there's so much writing on it, I guess, as part of it. You know, there's a lot writing on uh, this year for Hawaii football. And, of course, the Cal as well. I mean, Cal, as you just pointed out, is, is at an important crossroads and trying to, you know, live in a, you know, year one, you know, PG, uh, year one post-golf. But as an air raid team, you know, there are certain things that will be there for a quarterback who simply puts the ball out on time has his eyes in the right place, realize that this is what he's trying to do. Open open areas. That's that's the whole point. Is to make holes for either places, you know, to force places to be open for you to throw the football. And if your receivers do the right thing, and if you do the right thing, somebody is open on every play. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. And I'm with you. I predict that it will indeed be a fairly close game. I think that Hawaii will be within two touchdowns, which to me is a you know a good thing for them. Now, since you probably don't have that as one of your premier games, uh, I assume there'll be some other games that you are maybe a little more 
jacked up about in terms of prospect matchups and maybe even just the game itself. So what are some of the ones that you do have on your menu? You mean for, like, next week? Yeah, right, for this opening salvo, the first shot well, being fired in the seat. Yeah. Well, the last, well, the last, thing, the last thing I'll say uh, about the Cal-Hawaii game is, like I yes. said, you want to see a really underrated running back, Paul Harris, you know, yes, on Hawaii. You want to see uh, how who the next Cal running back is going to be. Um, there's three options. I mean, you have Trey Watson, you have – Vic Henware, and of course Cal Calfani uh, Muhammad. Um, right. Another sort of option there that they're kind of who's really really fast. By the way, yes. Just on tape, he's just fast. Yeah, and, like sprint uh, champion, fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, the funny thing about this game is, as I was, you know, looking up players to look at and study, you know, going into the game. There's a lot of players I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy, oh, ooh, he's not there anymore. Oh, that guy, oh, he's not there anymore. Like, there was lots of guys who either got suspended or Hardy Nickerson is at Illinois now. You know, so there was lots of stuff like that happening. Um, but I think Devontae Downs at linebacker on Cal is another guy. Um, he's a guy apparently had a really good spring uh, spring ball and everything else like that. Uh, and Allensworth, a quarterback, is a guy that I Gary from. Allensworth, yeah. Yeah, from last year, I was kind of interested. So, I mean, there, there's guys to watch, is all I'm trying to say. Uh, and, it, again, it's college football, so you watch it regardless, unless you're not a true fan, you know, unless you're just an SEC guy. So, you know, there's stuff there. But, yeah, for this opening week, despite the fact there's a lot of cupcake games, as I like to call it, uh, you know, where you – confidence builders, right? You know, you play Louisville – plays, you know, Charlotte, right? So that's going to be, you know, one of those confidence builder games. You just demolish another team and, you know, feel good about yourself. But, um, yeah, I, I South Carolina Vanderbilt is one game I'm really interested in uh, on both sides because this is a new South Carolina. I kind of want to see what they do. I didn't like any of the guys coming in this year that much. And maybe that was just because of coaching, you know, kind of like at Florida, you know, where Florida was so bad that it was kind of hard to find any good for the most part. But I do think South Carolina and Venerable is going to be a fun game just to watch in terms of what happens with those two programs. Oregon State and Minnesota is another game that I, I really want to see in terms of those teams and matchups. I'm not a big, Matt, you know, I'm not a big Leidner fan at all, but I do kind of want to see – how he plays in the first game of the year, just so I can kind of confirm. I, I may have a bias, but, you know, not confirmation bias, but just like, yeah, this isn't as good of a quarterback. He's not a first-round quarterback, is what I'm going to say. But I still kind of want to get that first game out of the way. That way I have something to talk about in terms of if he, if he improved or not, which I think he will, but how much. Uh, it, it's a, to that point. Kansas State-Stanford is another game I'm really interested in watching because I, I like Kansas State overall as a program and Stanford. I really want to see Oklahoma versus Houston because that is that could be a really big game for Houston if they win it. It's obviously going to be tough but it is something that is you know, that's an interesting sort of thing to happen, I guess, is, is to watch these two teams. Missouri, West Virginia, UCLA, Texas A&M, 
just for obvious reasons, you know, Josh, the chosen Rosen versus the A&M wide receiver core, LSU, Wisconsin is always kind of fun. And uh, Georgia, North Carolina, and Notre Dame, Texas, Ole Miss, Florida State. So, yep. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of stuff. As I always say, it's always overwhelming the first week because you don't really, you can't possibly see everybody, you know. So uh, you eventually will, but it's always interesting the first week where you kind of have to figure out where you start. You because know, you, you're, you're on another little journey, you know, a journey that's going to last, you know, up until May for the most part. So, but yeah, it, it, there's, it is a ton of games. USC, Alabama, another one. So, I mean, there's lots of uh, really good matchups to watch and other matchups here and there that uh, are going to be interesting just to see talent-wise how teams improved, who, who improved, who didn't improve, all that kind of stuff. Anything else? Any other things, Jim, that appealed to you or occurred to you? Oh, Clemson Auburn. Maybe oh, well, yeah. I guess I guess that's a yeah. game some people might be checking out. Yeah. Mike I mean, Williams like I said, there's a, coming there's back. A yeah. Yeah, Mike Williams is back. Uh, so that, that's going to be that's certainly going to be uh, fun. See how that turns out. Um, but the other thing, too, is, is this is also the week of, you know, small school, you know, because, like, again, if you have a yeah. guy at Abilene Christian or you have a guy at, you know, Villanova or whatever, and you always have the question of, well, how do they look against FBS competition, this is their chance. So this is the first week where you could start to find guys or say a guy from Howard goes against Maryland and has a good game, you know. Um, this is kind of where you start to get that role too. So yeah, there's there's lots of I know I say cupcake, but there's lots of benefits to these games, even though they are just kind of cash grabs. They they get money to do this, which you know it is a business, but there is a benefit to small school guys who get to go against you know higher end competition, and if they prove to be really well, have a really good performance that could carry over into, you know, getting drafted. Right. And and that's, you know, obviously one of the things that I always look for as well. And there are certain positions particularly that when you're playing, uh, you know, playing up, as they say, you definitely can, can watch, you know, especially say, you know, defensive line. Are they just getting pushed all over the place by an off, by the offensive line? I and mean, that's, that's something I always look for. And, in terms of linebackers, you know, are they able to cover if they're if they're asked to do that in this in which they play? Do, uh, do they can of course stacking and shedding almost a thing of the past, but it's always cool if you do see a stack and shed situation, are they able to do it against these guys from you know an FBS school? And you know, you get to see sort of the the matchup on the on the perimeter with the you know offensive linemen versus the uh, the backs. Yeah, I agree that that's that's an incredibly important. Uh, those games are extremely important, and, and obviously people sort of we talked about preseason, how people look down on it, and a lot of times people say the same about those quote unquote cupcake games. But 
those games are important in terms of helping the, the larger school to get ready, but also it's an incredibly important infusion of cash for the uh, smaller school. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty jazzed, pretty pretty excited about it. Um, uh, David Swift, David, David Swift listed at six five, two hundred and thirty pounds. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, well, I'm willing to bet he's more like two twenty two, and probably more like six three and seven eight. But you know, I don't know. Somewhere. I remember David Swift, but he, you know, was a high schooler, you know, playing at Texas Tech, so you know, right. Right. He was basically Jared Goff's side. So, yeah. yeah, well, he used to be, I mean, he, you know, he was probably, I mean, I saw the first, I guess, probably one of the first games he played or early in his career, and he was, yes, uh, probably less than 200 pounds at the time. Uh, so he hopefully has filled out since then, I would, I would assume anyway. Yeah, but it's always good um, to see that you guys quote unquote play up. Uh, so yeah, I will definitely be watching a lot of the games that, that other people are watching, and then I, I may watch some some that maybe other people aren't watching. But it's it's here, you know. That's the most important thing. College football is here. Uh, the preseason is now consequential. You know, like I said, whether people believe in that or not, or like it or not. Uh, the preseason has reached the point where, even though it's not you know a quote unquote dress rehearsal as it's sometimes described, it certainly is an opportunity to see how close a team is to uh, making some important decisions, and, and equally as important, you get to see a chance, get a chance to see uh, essentially what they're looking for. I mean, that's what you, you're trying to figure out: what it is you still need, what things you have already in your team. And if you need to look outside of your current roster to, to find those things, to patch those holes. So, you know, like I said, super important. Oh, yeah. And you can definitely, as I tell most of you, you can definitely know how a team feels about uh, a particular position just by the amount of bodies they have there. So, like, if you right. go into preseason and you have 12 wide receivers or 10 wide receivers, obviously your GM or your coaches say, you know what, we – we need some wide receiver help. We need to we need to find a guy, or we're gonna bring ten guys in, and hopefully one of them emerges. Right. Well, yeah, it used to be sort of a, a somewhat similar thing. I mean, you have you have so many different ways to potentially approach building a roster, and there are teams that do bring in. Some teams only want to bring in a certain number of guys because, or certain positions at least, because they can't adequately pay attention. Uh, they're, you know, to over a certain number. And other teams throw open the floodgates, as you said. You may see, at least until they have to make cuts, you may see a lot of, you know, guys, good, bad, and indifferent at certain positions as they, as they sort through it. But that's obviously that's half the fun, if not more than half the fun, of watching preseason. is seeing how deep some teams are at certain positions or some how deep some teams are not. So when a team does get an unfortunate, you know, preseason injury, which teams are obviously trying to avoid, you quickly see which teams 
already scrambling, even with, you know, 90 guys on the roster. Shuffle and have guys play different positions and things like that, which is a little scary. Because you wonder what's going to happen when you have, you know, 56 on your roster and only 46 active on a you know, actual kickoff. You know, death doesn't just mean carrying a bunch of dudes because you can't carry a bunch of dudes anyway. I mean, not more than a certain number. You know, depth means, as you said before, not having a huge drop-off being number one and number two. And that's revealed to some extent, like I said, in the preseason, which teams do have players who are similar in terms of caliber, caliber between their first and second string. Yeah, because the fact of the matter is, it's just a fact of the game. Injuries are going to happen. Yeah. You know, you're, and usually, which I actually have been a couple studies about this, but just in terms of the teams that end up being really bad, usually have a shockingly high amount of injuries, you know, guys put on IR. Um, because it's just the mere fact that, you know, you had guys that were starting caliber players and then you get down to the second string, third string guys and, you, you know, you have issues, you know. Um, so sometimes just winning football games is just a matter of staying healthy. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, depth is, is, is something to me that's kind of underrated. Uh, not really too underrated, but just to a certain extent. Uh, because, again, you know, injuries are going to happen, and you want to know that, hey, if this guy goes down, there's a guy right behind him that can come in and, you know, do his job, um, which, you know, is the Patriot way. But, yeah, you know, you want that. You know, you want that. You want the ability to have uh, seamless turnover, at least in terms of those sort of things. Right. And that, that I, like I said, that is the thing that I may think may be the one of the hardest things to do because, you, as you said, there will be injuries. It is impressive, at least in my to my opinion, to see how consistently certain teams, I mean, the Patriots are once again sort of the gold standard, but how consistently they are, you know, the Patriots. I mean, they're this, the, the team that you think the Patriots are. They, they look like that team more often than maybe any other team in the league looks like itself, even when they do have injury, they still tend to look like the Patriots. Yeah, and and plus the other issue with having good depth is you're always going to have turnover because the fact of the matter is people want to start, you know. Like everybody, for the most part, wants to be the starter. Um, Due to monetary reasons, just because of competition reasons. Like this is why you play football to start. So, you know... You're gonna. You can have a team that has really good depth one year. The next year, the guys that were good depth are now on other teams. So it's, you know, that's. I mean, that's the art of good roster management is just constantly having good depth, constantly having turnover, and being able to replace those guys with starter caliber guys, or at least backup quality guys, which is not always easy, you know. Yeah. Well, that's. And that's an incredibly important thing to, like I said, to figure out. So that's why I appreciate, one of the reasons I appreciate 
despite some people's complaints, the uh, the need for and the things you can glean from the preseason. So I, like I said, I've been watching lots of it, and you know it's important. It's important uh, internally, like I said, to the team itself, and should be important externally to those who care about the game. So what have you been up to, Jim? I mean, obviously, you know, other stuff, but football-wise, what kind of things you've been do- have you been doing? Football-wise? Uh, you know, I've been... Anything cool? Anything cool? Uh, n- mm-hmm. Well, sort of. I got a lot of questions about my production data stuff with people going, have you filtered in uh, win-loss records, stuff like that. Like, you know, these guys were really productive, but was it because of garbage time? Stuff like that, you know, questions about that in terms of defensive players and offensive players and that sort of stuff. And when I did that, when I uh, I basically you know, there's a lot of stuff, thousands of players already in the data sets, and having to get thousands more of data. Um, but after I did all that stuff, uh, there wasn't any difference in terms of uh, win loss records. Like it didn't help at all <laughs> in terms of uh, being a, a a thing to filter good players versus bad players. Um, essentially, it was, a, it was the same result. If you were really productive, you were really productive. Um, uh, one, one best example of this is uh, running backs. You know, people were telling me all the time that, well, can't you filter running backs and basically figure out, okay, these running backs were on winning teams, so obviously their market share is better than everybody else, that sort of thing. But when I did that, I came up on guys like Matt Forte, and uh, and uh, the running back from uh, Pittsburgh. Um, uh, well, let's see. He was on the. He was on. He was on the Jets. You mean Connor? And, you talking about Connor? No, no, no. I'm talking about uh, uh, running back from the '90s, inducted oh. into the Hall of Fame. You mean Chris Martin? Curtis Martin, another guy played on the team that had a losing record, had really big market share. So I just kept going through this again and again and again uh, to where there really wasn't uh, – basically people that kept criticizing my data over things uh, that because that I didn't have these filters, uh, I added it, and there wasn't any difference. Or it didn't affect anything. It didn't help to whittle down the uh, results. So it, it isn't a variable. So basically the, the theory that a lot of people have, which is, oh, he was only productive because of garbage time and stuff like that, I, I think that's a little bit of a myth to a certain extent. I, I think that's a little bit of just bias towards, you know, like, oh, they're not playing anymore because they're up by a lot of points. I think that's kind of, I don't know. I, I just think that that's, there's not a lot to that, I guess. Right. So. Exactly. And that's how it should be. You know, it shouldn't require, you know, that you have to overtax yourself. So, yes, yeah, so I've been trying to finish up a couple things as well. This is, like I said, one of my favorite times of the year, uh, you know, to have the long, long, long wait uh, come finally to an end. And also, it's always great to have Steve. I'm super excited that he was able to jump on. 
And then uh, come tomorrow, we'll talk a little bit about uh, things like what we saw when we watched Cal and Hawaii, and then we'll spend a little time on players that we think will be all Americans uh, or all whatever's all, you know, the best players and look, look into the future a little bit. We'll talk about what kinds of situations and careers and where they might fit and how they might fit in the next level and all that kind of good stuff. That's some of what we'll be up to. And we may be joined by Isaiah. We may not. Who knows? But um, that's some of what will be going on. And then, like I said, I will be breaking down what I'm watching in terms of the, you know, the, the I don't know what they call it, Australia uh, Expedition, whatever they call it. They don't, I guess this doesn't have a special name. The Outback um, Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I guess they could call it that. The Blue and Onion, the whatever it is. Um, you know, like I said, it is a cool, interesting situation. And I believe it's the first college football game ever played uh, in Australia by Americans, at least, ever played in Australia. So that, that, that makes it historical as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've had rugby, though. I mean, yeah. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yes. But, yeah, I don't think football. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been a college game played before. Yeah. Which is very surprising, but yeah, it, it's definitely a milestone. Right. You know, so I'll be, like I said, excited to see uh, how that develops. And I, I'm wondering if it's going to end up being a, you know, a thing um, where other teams or, I don't know, I guess not too many other teams can really make it to Australia. Well, I guess, like I said, West Coast teams, and obviously Hawaii has, I guess, the home field advantage uh, by by comparison. By two thousand miles. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. That that was the the interesting thing because they showed a uh, they showed a graphic basically showing the amount of miles you know Berkeley to Sydney and then Hawaii to Sydney, and the difference was only I mean Hawaii you it took five thousand miles to get to Sydney. Berkeley is about 7,000-plus miles. So it's kind of an advantage, but when you think about it, really, it's not really. You know, still, that's still a lot of miles. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I, I assume both schools traveled there a little bit ahead of time. I'm going to do a, a hope that that's going to happen to give the players, you know, obviously a chance to adjust, but also maybe even some time to enjoy being in Hawaii. You know, so that's like I said, we'll be I'll be we'll be breaking this down a little bit, so I'll be reviewing the tape and all that good stuff, looking over the the game, and then uh, we'll spend a little time on. I guess we'll talk a little bit about you know the upcoming cuts, um, guys who might be on the bubble, uh, including maybe some. I mean, obviously there'll be the usuals, you know, rookies, youngsters, undrafted agents, but maybe some of the there might be some veterans who uh, might have to bring their playbooks and get a visit from, from the Turk as all as they say. So Jim, always a pleasure. Always a always an honor. Glad to be able to sort of get back back at it with you. And uh and like I said, Steve, always great to have him. Uh we will do this show again in one week and then tomorrow we will spend a little more time on some of the other topics that were not yet covered. Thank you once again, 
for your time, your talent, and your attention. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.